Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Scorpio Sky, and you are listening to the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast, and it is the best. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here Joined by the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will be discussing the Road to New Beginning shows and the New Beginning in Sapporo, as well as covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe to sign up to get all the podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping It Strong Style is brought to you by Powerslam.tv. Powerslam.tv is an independent pro wrestling streaming service with over 4,000 hours of independent wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your month free of Powerslam.tv. Make sure you check out our pro wrestling tees, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. Get your social suplex shirts, keeping it strong style. Up now, One Nation Radio shirts, Ricky and Clive shirts coming soon later this week. So check out our Pro Wrestling Tees, get one of those shirts. And before we jump into the show, got some social suplex housekeeping business to take care of. Just wanted to make this announcement official here on the air. Um, As many of you guys know, The Outsider's Edge has been um, one of the longstanding shows here on the network. Uh, they are actually the second show to come on the network, uh, joining One Nation Radio to make this thing a network. Uh, originally, it's the SMC podcast. Well, this past weekend, the Outsiders Edge have uh, requested their release and were granted <laughs> their release from the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Uh, I want to wish we, we, we didn't uh, we didn't tack on a bunch of extra. Uh extra dates due to injury and <laughs> due, due to not fulfilling their contract no we didn't oh my gosh why why would you do that we didn't we didn't you know try to poke you know keep them hoard talent we need to hoard them <laughs> no uh, yeah that's um you know in 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 some ways i want to say it's 
I don't know if unfortunate is the word because um, this was basically a decision that Rance, Carl, and Kyle, if you guys listen, I don't know how many of you listen to our show, listen to their show. I don't know how much, we don't have the stats or the analysis to see the crossover, but um, you know, if any of you have listened to their show in the past, this wasn't like a decision where like we're not still friends with them or anything like that. Like those guys have our support, but they have other opportunities on other networks that they would like to pursue. And so we wish them all the best in their future endeavors. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Also, so, yeah, I do wish those guys the best um, in their future endeavors. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be putting out a goodbye episode this week or not. They uh, should. Uh, they should. I don't know if they're going to. Tears will be shed. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, I appreciate all what those guys have contributed over the network over the last couple of years. Like I mentioned, you know, they were kind of one of the founding podcasts of this network. Uh, I mean, I mean, strangely enough, it kind of happened like this. So before Social Suplex was kind of the big thing that it is now. I mean, it it always existed. Jeremy ran Social Suplex. He had a. Uh, it was more of like a. Uh, it was uh, mainly a column site at Like the time. a column site, yeah. And I mean, we still keep up with columns, but I don't think that that's really our bread and butter anymore. It's mostly the audio. And, you know, we actually, we plug it every week, the Wrestling Squared Circle. That was something that Rich and James and Ciara Reed, shout out to Ciara, they, they found it. I guess I kind of helped found that as well, even though I'm kind of just the talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and through that, we met Caleb Baldwin. And Caleb... Uh, you know, wanted to start his own podcast, and at the time, Rich and James had recently jumped from um, what Podomatic. Yeah, they were kind of shopping around for a new um, pod, new podcast kind of um, hosting home, and then you know, Rich was already um, starting to write on Social Suplex, and I was doing a lot of uh, work with Rich, and so we just you know, it made a lot of sense to bring One Nation Radio. Um, to feature that on the social suplex website and um, so from there we landed eventually landed on podbean and then um, with when Caleb and Rance and Kyle or, or Carl wanted to kind of start their own thing um, I believe it was the uh, doc Chad Matthews that kind of connected the dots there no it was me oh it was you oh uh. it was me okay I'm gonna always take credit for this <laughs> so basically what happened was Caleb had told me he was going to start a podcast with his buddies, with Carl and Rance, and I was all supportive of that, and Rich and them had recently just joined Social Suplex, which at the time was kind of a precarious choice because they were doing very large numbers on Podomatic, but they needed to get off there for various reasons, and when they came to Social Suplex, it was like, from a friendship standpoint, it made sense, but from like a number standpoint, I mean, it was like a, like a way smaller audience because we hadn't grown this thing yet right. so it was like jumping back at the ground floor and i remember saying that we should have caleb and them on the network and i don't think at the time that we ever envisioned having a podcast network well i know at, uh, there was at one point rich was like you know i kind of want to start a podcast network and i know he kind of reached out he was like asking you know sierra or me if i wanted to do a show and possibly put it under One Nation Radio. I, I know that part of the hesitation originally was that, like, we were friends with Caleb, but we weren't friends with him like we are now. Like, we never hung out with him. We didn't know him. And Rich was 
I told Rich, I was like, you should, they're starting SMC, you should have them on the network. And he was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> He's like, I don't, he was like, I'm worried that like, it will maybe like draw away from our numbers or distract from what we're trying to do, what we're trying to build. And I was like, bro, it's, it's going to be better. Trust me. You'll have different audiences. You guys were here first. Obviously your numbers are really large. It's going to help expand everything. And then they'll probably be crossover for both shows. And he was like, I don't know. I was like, bro, trust me. I'm telling you, that's what will happen. And, um, you know, Rich kind of linked up with you. And then you guys linked up with Caleb. And we wouldn't have the Social Suplex podcast network without Rance and Carl and Caleb and Kyle. So even though they're leaving us, like, those those guys are su- Social Suplex through and through. Everything that they've done. Everything that they've contributed you know, we always say that this is an independent podcast network that we survive based off of word of mouth and based off of your support. That's why we're trying to get over putting out these gimmicks, putting out the shirts, putting out the uh, the free months with PowerSlam TV, all that. But everything that's happening, keeping it strong style, all the international shows that we have now, none of this would have happened without those guys. So even though they're going on to other things, like I just want to, you know, thank them for everything they've done and you know, if down the line there's room for us to work together again, you know, it's it, that's always there. We will always be able to collaborate. You might even see some crossover. Those guys are going to be over on Chair Shot. Always use your head. <laughs> uh, I think we have different audiences, but you just never know. You might see a you might see a young boy running. You might see a, a Jeremy Donovan running. You just never know. Yeah. So once again, Rance, Carl, Kyle, thank you guys so much for your contributions to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. And you know, we're we're your brothers here. If you need anything from us, you can hit us up. But, you know, just wanted to get that kind of out in the open, let everybody kind of in on what's going on with Social Suplex. But we have a lot of great things going on in the network and a lot of great things going on right here at Keeping It Strong Style. So without further ado, let's jump into what we got this week. So this past week, we had three Row 2 New Beginning shows that aired on New Japan World. And we also had two... Um, New Beginnings in Sapporo shows that aired on New Japan World this weekend. So, um, for the Road 2 shows, we're not going to give you a match-by-match breakdown. We're going to give the results and then highlight any key things that we thought happened on those three shows. And then from there, we'll jump into a match-by-match kind of breakdown for the two New Beginning in Sapporo shows. And, of course, we'll be peppering in all your questions that you sent in on Reddit and Twitter and Facebook um, throughout the reviews. Um, so we're going to start off the road to new beginning uh, January 28th, 2019. Uh, we had uh, Minobu Nakanishi and Ren Narita defeating the team of Yota Suji and Yuya Yuromura. Um, nothing out of the ordinary there. We had Tenzan and Toa Hanare defeating Shota Umino and Ayato Yoshida. Um, Toa Hanare uh, got a win with the Toa bottom. Then we had uh, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, Chase Owen, and Taiji Ishimori defeating the team of Togi Makabe, Tomioka Hun- Hunma, Toru Yanu, and Risuke Taguchi. Then we had the team of Kazuchika Okada, Yoshihashi defeating the team of Bad Luck Fale and Yujiro Takahashi. Then we had uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida defeating the team of Jay White and Gato. And then we had um, the big main event of this evening. 
It was the five on five Suzuki Goon versus LIJ elimination matchup with uh, Suzuki Goon defeating Los Ingobernables de Japón. We had uh, Sonata and Suzuki. Um, they both eliminated each other over the top rope. Then we have Desperado. Um, he got eliminated over the top rope. Shingo was eliminated over the top rope. Kanemaru was eliminated via the Bushi roll. Then Bushi uh, eliminated Saber with the STF. Then Evil and Saber eliminated. Uh, Evil and Saber were eliminated over the top rope, which left us Naito and um, Taichi. And Taichi eliminated Naito over the top rope. And young boy, I know you love those elimination matches. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I thought I thought it was uh, really good. I think that the buildup that they put in place between Naito and Taichi was really, really, really done, um, or you know, really well done. Uh, essentially, kind of putting Taichi in a spot where he always had the upper hand all throughout these uh, Road to New Beginning tours where he just consistently seemed to get the better of Naito, uh, much to the LIJ fanboy chagrin. Um, and yeah, but I mean, it was always through nefarious means, it was always through underhanded tactics, and so it wasn't like you would ever see him being on the same level as um, Naito, but it went a long way to presenting him like he had an actual shot at possibly upsetting him and taking the title from him, which, you know, that's something that a lot of other major wrestling companies are don't do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There, there's uh, a push and a, a mindset, a booking mentality, where they want to keep their strong guys looking strong, and so they do that through having them look dominant all the time. You know, take Brock Lesnar for example, or something of that nature. And you could do something like that with Naito, absolutely. I mean, I think the fans would probably, you know, believe that. But then at that point. The, where's the draw for Naito and Taichi? And I think it's really smart what Gato did here where every single time you wanted to see Naito get his comeuppance, it just seemed to elude him. And, you know, LIJ just, or I'm sorry, Suzuki-Gun just continued to use these underhanded tactics, continued to just squeak by, jump zoning them, using all, all the, the tomfoolery and all the you know, all the tricks, all, you know, the smoke and mirrors that they could to basically, by the by the time that they ended up in the main event, you know, at New Beginning and Sapporo Night 2, you just want to see this guy get his comeuppance. Yeah. You, you just want to see him put this thing to bed because it's like, they've been this thorn in his side all year and that, and it's like never been as pronounced, I would say, as it was during this tour because, I mean, Taichi like smoked him out in every single match, basically. Yeah. And I thought this did a great job, like you said, kind of putting Taichi on Naito's level and also making, uh, you know, uh, Bushi and uh, Shingo on a, kind of the same level as Kanemaru and Desperado and having Evil and Sonata on the same level as Suzuki and Saber. So really going into Sapporo, you really had no idea who was going to win those, uh, those three uh, big matches. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to the Road to New beginning on January 29th. This was Kushida's farewell show. We opened up the night with Ren Narita defeating uh, Yuya Yuromura. And uh, the big news out of this match was Narita hit a belly-to-belly -belly into a bridge for the pinfall. 
And that's a big deal because, you know, young Lions, they are restricted on what movesets they can do in their matches until um, they feel, until, you know, the dojo um, trainers feel like they can go on to other things. So that's why usually these young Lions matches end with Boston Crabs. Uh, but here, Narita busting out the belly-to-belly -belly bridge as his finisher. It's beautiful, too. It's a thing of beauty. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really dug this. Uh, they did this match again um, on the first night of New Beginning in Sapporo. Um, I think that I liked this match better, though. I think I like this one better, too. Um, it was a little shorter, a little more to the point. Yeah, it was a quick little sprint. And obviously, I mean, I feel like the point of this match was to kind of get Narita over and to get over that new belly-to-belly uh, -belly suplex. Um, we have a question here from Reddit user Jar of Peanuts. Now that Narita has been finishing matches with his bridging belly-to-belly -belly suplex, I have a couple questions. How often do Young Lions get finishers? The only other one I remember having a finisher is Kitamura and his jackhammer. Do you guys think this means Narita might be getting fast-tracked like Kitamura did? Well, um, I guess in some sense you could say he's being fast-tracked, and in another sense he's been there for... You know quite a while now so I, I don't know how fast this fast track has been but in the sense of him and uh him and um umino being the two most senior young lions um i'm sure that they're you know in the in the midst of considering excursion they gotta be right and you know we have seen other young lions in the past in similar positions have finishers uh kawato you know months before his excursion he was using the that trouble in paradise yeah, I didn't um, know what to call that. I was like, is that a trouble in paradise? I can't remember what he called it, but yeah, he, yeah, he had a finisher. That, that awesome. spinning wheel kick, um, I guess it's just easier, a trouble in paradise. Most people know what that looks like. And so he was using that to uh, finish people off when he was fighting against other young lions. Um, so kind of like one in that kind of last stage before excursion, these young lions, they get their finishing maneuvers right before, it seems like a few months before they're ready to go. So it wouldn't surprise me if later this year, if Narita and Shota Umi know uh, do end up going on excursion. Well, yeah, because what I meant by fast track, I wouldn't call it fast track in the sense of, like, Kitamura, because Kitamura... He was there for a very short time. And he they were making him dominant. They were giving him singles matches, you know, doing that, that challenge series. That was a little bit different. Um, but as far as, like, fast tracking them from, for excursion, they've been there for quite a while. The company's behind them. I've been saying for a long time that I think... From a technical and mechanical standpoint, I think Narita is the most accomplished young lion that they have to date, like right now. Um, but they, you know, Umino, on this these past couple uh, matches, he's like he's always been very fiery. He's always been technically good, but he's starting to tap into like the drama of a match. Yeah, and you know, we might as well mention he also has been using. He's now using a fisherman suplex as well. So both of them kind of have been given, um, you know, a, a new little wrinkle to their game, if you would. Um, but that being said, I mean, I gotta imagine that they're on their way because if you think about it, you, we've got these young lions that are starting to come in from New Zealand. We've got the Young Lion USA dojos that are training with Shibata. And then they've got the whole crop of guys that are just underneath these two guys that are still in the, you know, uh, Tokyo dojo. So there's, whether people realize it or not, there's a lot of Young Lion talent underneath them that are ready to maybe make their debuts in, in New Japan proper and start working these opening matches, which means Narita and um, Umino, they gots to go. They yeah. got to go somewhere. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, and I mean, Kawato, who knows, like Kawato and, um, and Oka. And Oka uh, I mean, I don't know where they're at in their projections, if they've got plans for them, but I mean, they've been gone for quite a while. Uh, I know Kawato's been gone about a year. Oka's been gone about four or five months. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, they probably still have, like, maybe another year to year and a half potentially just depending what what gato's plans are but yeah i i gotta imagine that that's what this is signaling of yeah so that was kind of cool seeing him get the hit yeah hit. i love that I, I i like his uh that bridging belly to belly i like it better than the fisherman suplex yeah man that it, it's it's a, it's a nice little twist because you people normally don't bridge off of belly to bellies i mean you see a northern lights of a bridge but this is a little bit different well you more did a, a double arm suplex over the top that i thought was awesome as well yeah. but it, that's not a finish or anything but yeah he's narita's pinning guys with this now so i mean yeah there are other young lines but that tells you something so that's pretty cool so then we had uh nakanishi and tenzon defeating the team of umino and yoshida we had Taiji Ishimori and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the team of Taguchi and Toa Hanare. Then we had uh, Togi Makabe, Toro Yano, and Hanma defeat the team of Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Chase Owens. Uh, we had Switchblade, Jay White, and Bad Luck Fale defeating the team of Okada and Yoshihashi. Geek. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then uh, we had uh, Naito, Evil, Sonata, Bushi, and Shingo defeating Suzuki, Saber, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Desperado in a big uh, 10-man tag there. And then we had the IWGP Heavyweight Champion Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Kushida um, in a non-title match in his farewell match, his last match in New Japan. Young boy, what were, what were your thoughts on Kushida's final match? Um, I thought that this was a fitting send-off. Um, I I did see a lot of people online going kind of crazy over this and, you know, really uh, hyping this up. I don't know if it landed there for me. I wouldn't call this, like, a classic by any means. But <clears throat> with that being said, I thought that this was a fitting finale for Kushida. Um, I know that we've talked about this match ourselves for, you know, over a year now. Um, the idea of having the heavyweight ace taking on the junior ace. These guys have a long history teaming together. Um, mutual respect. Kushida kind of being like the protege to Tanahashi. Tanahashi being like his mentor. So this was the perfect guy to send him off. And I thought that this match was your classic New Japan strong style match. And I don't mean strong style in the sense of like you know, a violent slugfest. But what I mean is, like, this was worked very much in that New Japan 90s Choshu, you know, um, uh, Muto sort of style. It was a very heavy uh, heavy grapple-based match. Yeah, yeah. A lot, which, of, a lot of grappling, a lot of submissions. I'm a big fan of that, and I think that that fits the story, especially with Tanahashi being a bigger guy, kind of, like, leveling the, the playing field. And I think a lot of the story was just that Tanahashi was too big, too strong for a highly skilled, but, you know, it's like in boxing, they always talk about, you know, a good big man will usually be a great little man, but a great big man's always going to beat a great little man. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that they don't stick to those types of, um, you know, adherences in New Japan strictly, but that being said, Tanahashi 
is the ace right now. He's the guy. He's the champion. Like, there was no doubt that Kushida was ever going to beat him. There's a couple times where he put him, you know, in trouble and made Kushida look good, but um, Tanahashi got him out of there with that uh, clover leaf. Yeah, tapped him out. Not, tapped e- not even high five flow. Tapped that man out in the middle of the ring. And you know what? Um, it kind of makes sense. It reminds me in a lot of ways. Do you remember last year when uh, Will Ospreay got his title op- or his opportunity at the anniversary show? Against Okada, yeah. Against Okada. And one of the things that was interesting was like they didn't trade a lot of pinfalls. It wasn't like Ospreay was, you know, putting Okada at the brink. You know, it was a good match, but then Okada just got him in the Rainmaker and that was it. Kind of reminds me in a way also of like the Liger, when Liger tried to come up and take on um, Hashimoto. Very similar story. So this is this is kind of in line with those sorts of matchups. And yeah, there was no point where Kushida was, you know, putting Tanahashi in severe danger. They weren't trading, you know, pinfalls and, and all that. It was just a very good technical, emotional wrestling match. And then Tanahashi got him out of there. And as right, he should because he's the bigger man. He's the star he's of the, the company. Ace. He's, he's the a, ace. He's the world champion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like you mentioned, there were like a few uh, near falls. Kushida hit that uh, the Back to the Future at one point, and the crowd popped for it and kind of bought in the the near fall. Uh, but yeah, I mean overall, good match. I mean I would recommend you know watching it, checking out Kushida's last match. I think that's the 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 one of all the new beginning Road to New Beginnings uh, matches. That's the one that I would recommend highest. Yeah. Uh, very good. I, I don't know. I went like four and a quarter on this one. Uh, I think it's uh, a flat four for me on this one. Okay. But th- I think the real story comes um, at the end of the match. Yeah. Post-match, uh, you know, kind of this emotional moment. Kushida kind of saying goodbye to New Japan and kind of thanking Tanahashi. Uh, and then out of nowhere, uh, Switchblade Jay White comes out and uh, attacks the knee of Tanahashi. Yeah, I, I loved this, um, and that's actually, we'll talk about that, but that's been the story of the entire tour, is Jay White using underhanded tactics to attack the wheels, if you would, mm-hmm. of Tanahashi. And, um, you know, this kind of, like, reminds me, in a way, of what you used to see with ECW, you know? Or WWE, at one point, was really good about this. Like, someone's leaving, and so when a person leaves... You use that moment to introduce a new story, a new character, or you know, a new angle mm-hmm. to get heat on that. And I think that that was very, very, very smart here because obviously they could have gone the, you know, the big send off route. They could have rained confetti and you know, given him flowers and thanked him and all that. But instead, they decided to get heat. You know, a Memphis style angle heat, and we all know how much Gato loves Memphis and that right. sort of thing. And Paul Heyman himself comes from Memphis, so a lot of booking similarities. I don't know, just to like, I know that New Japan's not ECW per se, but a lot of the same like philosophies. And it was so smart to have this vile, dastardly, evil scumbag come into the ring and not only rain on Kushida's parade, but also use it as an opportunity to take a cheap shot at Tanahashi and get massive heat on him yeah dude the crowds were just raining booze on this man i mean ruining kashia's moment taking out tanahashi's knee pilmanizing um his right leg with, a ch- with another chair and uh kind of posing with the iwgp title making a big statement they did it the right way too because it wasn't like he just came in as soon as the match was over they 
They still gave Tanahashi and Kushida their moment to hug, mm-hmm. but then out of nowhere, the shock. It, I, I loved the delivery of this angle, the way it was done. And then even after everything was over, you still got to see Kushida and Tanahashi help each other and, and, and get out of there. Yeah. And so it was done the right way. Um, it, it just it kind of reminds me of like when Tommy Dreamer had defeated Raven for the first time, and then suddenly Jerry Lawler shows up starts caning the crap out of him. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there's no room for jubilation in wrestling. There's no room for, for, I mean, I guess it has its place, you know, it's called Wrestle Kingdom, but like on a road to show, they don't need to do that. Like, right. we look to the future, look to, to what's coming, you know, coming up. And um, I know sometimes it sounds like I'm a shill for Jay White on this show, and I can assure you I'm not. <laughs> but with that being said, this was the perfect way to build to that match. And that's what, that's what they need to be thinking about, you know? Yeah. You know, I think I might people might start calling me a Jay White chill. I, <laughs> I wrote um, a column on Social Suplex last week called, Is Jay White Overrated? And, uh, you know, essentially, I the whole point of my column was kind of proving that Jay White is not overrated. So go ahead and check that out. Give it a read and uh, let me know what you think. I but. gave it a read. I gave it a little taste. Yeah, give it a little, give it a little taste <laughs> and uh, see what you think about that. We also have a couple questions here about Kushida. Uh, first one comes from Dom Homie 101. With, Dom Homie. With, uh, with Kushida run with NJPW being over, where does he rank among the great juniors from the past? What what would his legacy be? Ooh, that is a really tough question. Um, because obviously New Japan is a company that is known for putting juniors on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously you've got the underrated period of the '80s, you know Fujinami setting things off and Tiger Mask and Dynamite, and then later on when the Shoot Style came in, you know Takata and Hase and Owen Hart, obviously Liger. Uh, but I don't think for New Japan really where the, their hottest period when it comes to the juniors, it, it was probably the '90s, you know. And you look at any of those. Um, those 90s um, tournaments that they used to have. I mean, you would look at like the guys around there, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Jushin Thunder Liger, Shinjiro Otani. I mean, the the list goes on and on and on. You could do this all day. Um, Great Sasuke, you know, El Samurai, Naoki Sano. I mean, there's a million of them. And then it does seem like with the Dark Ages, when things went more to a shoot style, I mean, if you're a Kendo Cashin fan, have at it. <laughs> if you love that stuff, I get it. But I do feel like where Kushida's legacy lies, and maybe I'm off base here, but I feel like the same way that as Tanahashi rose and brought things back to prominence, you kind of get a similar, I don't want to say on the same level, but a similar vibe from Kushida's role and accomplishments within the junior division. And I think that the junior division over the past seven or eight years has been the strongest it had been since the 90s. I mean, you had guys like Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Ricochet. Fish. Yep. Yeah. Bobby Fish. I mean, um, <laughs> Prince Devitt. Yeah. Uh, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay. Kenny Omega at one point. Kenny Omega, Taguchi. I mean, look at the list of guys that they, they've had just over the past couple years. And Kushida on any given night, could put on a five-star match with just about any of those guys. So from an in-ring standpoint performer, I mean, I think that, um, I don't know that he has the legacy of, or like the, I don't want to say he doesn't have respect, but I don't think he's held in bated breath the way that, say, a Liger 
or a tiger mask is. But that's not to say that he shouldn't be heralded as one of the all-time great juniors because I absolutely think that he should be. Yeah, and I think you're totally on point with your Tanahashi comparison. I mean, for the last eight years, this guy was pretty much the centerpiece of the junior division, whether it was singles or tags. You know, he was tag-teamed with... Um, Alex Shelley at one point. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you look back at some of the best matches over the last eight years in the junior division, and a lot of those are going to have Kushida in them. Um, this guy, I mean, he, he was a guy you counted on to have a big match. You know, we saw this year or last year with uh, Hiromu going out with the injury. Who was the guy they went to? Kushida. Every time that they've had to go to the well and someone either moved up or someone got injured or someone got cut or jumped ship or whatever the case was, you always had the old reliable that was there that was Kushida. And I think for some fans it got to the point where like they were like, we need new stories. But I don't know if anyone could objectively say that they were ever not entertained by Kushida because from an in-ring standpoint, he could have the match of the night pretty much any night that he wanted to. And this, this was a guy that was great in so many utility roles. He could go out there and have opening tag matches with you know the New Japan dads when, ne- when necessary. And then when you wanted to heat him up, he's so good and believable that you could have him. I mean, just look at this past year. I mean, he started out at the beginning of the year pretty much doing nothing. And then by mid-year, he's the junior champion again. I think the problem was they just ran out of things for him to do. From a creative standpoint, like, you know, creative has nothing for you, pal. Right. And so, I mean, that's where that stands. He's, I think, and I could be wrong here, but I believe the stat is that he has the second most junior title reigns behind Jushin Liger. I believe that's correct, yep. So, I mean, he, he's got, he, he has a legacy here, and I mean, that legacy is, you know, built um, from a fandom. I don't know if he, again, like I said, I don't know if he's seen as like a Liger or a Tiger Mask, but I would put him like the tier just below that and right. not much lower. Yeah. You know, he's probably like B plus where some of those guys are like seen as A's sort of thing. Right. And some of that has to do with the fact that in the beginning, who did he have to go against? You know, it was kind of, kind of that Tanahashi role. Tanahashi, like in, in the beginning of his career, who did he have to go against? You know, he's out here wrestling like giant Bernard stuff. Like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of what, and, and they built the junior division around Kushida. Yeah. So he helped them research this thing. Yeah, so he's definitely going to be a guy that's missed. Um, How did you feel uh, watching him, you know, have his last match? Like, what what was that like for you emotionally? Uh, you know, I really don't get too emotional when I watch wrestling, but wow. <laughs> I mean, it, Stone Pitbull. <laughs> it, it was. I mean, it, it was. It was kind of sad. I mean, this guy. You know, as I've started watching New Japan. Uh, you know, was that Wrestle Kingdom Nine was the the first the U.S. one? Yeah. Um, you know, Kushida's been there, and he's been a guy having great matches all the time. And so, with his future kind of being uncertain, I mean, I mean, all signs are pointing to WWE, but at this point, we don't know if he's going to be NXT 205, NXT UK. Um, you know, we we have no idea how where he's going to be and how is he exactly going to be used. Is he, is he going to be having the same caliber of matches that he had here? So it's almost like an end. Of an era for Kushida. They need to uh, go to the playbook, take everything they did with Kenta, and throw, and then do the opposite of that with him. <laughs> do, you, do you think Vince McMahon will know the difference between Kushida and Hideo Tommy? I don't even think he knows who Kenta even is, <laughs> so probably not. 
Um, <laughs> I thought we released you, pal. What are you doing back here? <laughs> I, think, I think that um, you know this was an interesting moment. I a lot of there was a lot of fanfare, a lot of people, you know, sad to see him go. And I think for a lot of like newer fans, I mean, this was their first real big stalwart that they saw leave in this way. You know, <clears throat> a lot of the fans that are watching now weren't watching when. AJ left and when Nakamura left and when, you know, all that or when Prince Devitt left, like, you know, that mm -hmm. they didn't see that stuff happen. So this is their first real like emotional like goodbye to a longtime fan favorite. And, you know, we might even be having an, we, we just had a bunch of other guys, you know, probably gone. I mean, still up in the air, but like, you know, this is confirmed and the big send off and everything. And I think they did it the right way. Um, I was sad to realize that this is the end of an era for Kushida and you know fingers crossed for what his future holds for him um I have no actual like I I don't have any actual like I'm not anticipating what's next but hypothetically I mean they could do good things with him in NXT yeah I mean <laughs> Yeah, potential. You know, NXT. I mean, that's where I would like to see him. I mean, there's a potential for him to have a, a ton of great matches there. I mean, guys, he's already wrestled like Ricochet. He can have great matches with. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys down there. They have so much talent in NXT right now, dude. I would love to see like a, a grapple match with him and Riddle. I mean, there's so much. Him and Riddle would be awesome. Yeah, there's so much great stuff they could do with Kushida in NXT. I mean, my favorite opponent of his is Kyle Riley by far. So those matches just always blow me. Well, Will Ospreay's up there, but those always blow me away. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure at some point we'll get a WWE gentrified version of what we've gotten from them in the past. And mm -hmm. even that's going to be close to four stars. So, I mean, either way. Um, yeah. 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 So uh, goodbye, Kushida. Uh, you will be missed. And one more kind of Kushida question here from Muzza underscore 44. He said, with Kushida now gone and many juniors either injured or going heavyweight, could we finally see Despy win the junior heavyweight title? Yeah, I actually think that that is um, absolutely a possibility. Um, they gave him a very strong push last year during Best of the Super Juniors. I think both you and I, we had, the year prior to that, we had mentioned how he had been impressive. We even had him on our list of most improved for the year, but then this past year was like a breakout year for him. I mean, if we almost had him listed as, you know, junior of the year nominee, the only reason we kind of held off was we didn't feel like he had the body of work to support it. But that being said, I mean, they, the guy has shown that when called upon and necessary, he can go, mm -hmm. the fans are behind him. And there's a lot of intrigue about his mask and what that might entail for the future. Yeah, definitely, and you know we've seen the the mask kind of come into play in the past with him and um, Dragon Lee, and all throughout this tour we had him and Bushi, him and Hiromu. Uh, yeah, him and Hiromu, and then this tour him and Bushi were stealing each other's masks and ripping them off. So I mean, potentially there could be a mask versus mask or mask versus hair match at some point down the line down the line with somebody. They, they teased it for a while with him and. Um Dragon Lee, mm -hmm. they both were talking about wanting it. They even brought it up again during the uh, Fantastic Mania tour, even though he was wrestling as Namahage. Yeah. And um, but now it seems like they might be going towards a Bushi versus Desperado mask versus mask match. We it's been a long time since we got one of those in New Japan. Um, obviously, the mask doesn't mean the same thing that it does in Mexico. But for those two guys, I mean, their whole identity is tied up in it. I I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to 
here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Desperado without his mask on. The dude's like a stud. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this isn't really the, the New Japan podcast where we talk about guys being hunky and studly and stuff like that. Like, that's not really our bag. But I'm telling you, like, this guy is very, very good looking. He's like, you know, like a young Minoru Suzuki, basically. Or like a Shibata. You know, he's a good looking dude. And it is funny to think that they've got him under this, you know, devilish mask. That, uh, obviously, if any of you remember his Young Lion days, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they went that route and took the mask from him because he's he's a very expressive performer. I was surprised that he kept the you know the gimmick when he came back to New Japan in the first place. Um, and it seems like they could hypothetically, if done correctly, they could utilize an unmasking to catapult in the way that like say a Juventud Guerrero or like a Rey Mysterio did back in the day. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be too surprised, but yeah, Desperado is a guy. You look at the current crop of juniors who have never held the junior title, and um, I mean, aside from Shingo, who I, that's a given. Um, you got to put Desperado up there as a guy that you could totally. Now I don't know if he'd have a dominant reign. I think if anything, I mean, at least for right now, I would see it as maybe being similar to like a Bushi transitional sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if maybe maybe they could go with him. I, I mean, if if they do what they did with him with the junior tag titles and just have him like cheat all the way through, I mean, he could have a very long reign. Yeah, possibly. I mean, this would seem like the perfect environment to do something like that, given the lack of guys that are there now. Like, mm-hmm. so, like you know, the, the, the division's been decimated over the course of, like, a month <laughs> with guys jumping, guys going up, guys getting injured. And so it's like the opportunity is there. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a possibility. And speaking of a lack of juniors, we got a question here from A Blue Three. He says, "With the juniors not having many people in the division, do you think Young Lions could be in the tournament this year, like one A block with Umora and Narita, maybe?" Yeah, I mean they've done that before. Yeah, I mean definitely. You no, know, depending on kind of who they get to fill out the tournament, definitely they could um, put in Umora and Narita in the tournament, and I think those guys would be great additions in the tournament, and that would be great experience for those guys. Yeah, I mean the only thing with it is you you can easily book your brackets a little easier and you can tell what's going to happen with that sort of thing. The only thing that would be really a surprise is if either of them picked up any points during the tournament. That would be like a huge deal. But you know, you you put a young lion in these tournaments and unless they're really strong performers that you're excited to see, it's not really all that exciting because you know exactly how it's going to turn out. I mean, even seeing like the Young Lions in the World Tag League this past year, they had a lot of good little matches, but I mean, nothing that. At the end of the day, you know, you know, they were taking the L. Yeah, I mean, it's a three-star special all day. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they could go that way. The the main thing though is they need something very, very, very strong because uh, they're doing the the finals at what Sumo Hall? Yes. So they're going to have to have a strong finals somewhere down the line regardless. Yeah. So we'll see what uh Gato and Harold have in the books for uh, the junior division this year. But uh next we have our last Road to New Beginning show which happened on January 30th. Things opened up with Shota Umino and Ayato Yoshida defeating the team Surprise. of Toa Hanare and Yota Suji, where Umino busted out his fisherman suplex. Um, big surprise, you know, with Toa Hanare on the team, you would expect that Toa's team would be the team that gets the win. I know I did. Uh, so did I. I mean, I think when we talked about it last week, we were like, yeah, yeah. Toa's getting the win here, Toa bottom. But no, uh, um, 
Umino busted out that fisherman suplex on Suji and got the big win for the team here. The first win for um, Umino and Yoshida as a team here since oh they've been teaming God. together. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's crazy. Uh, then we had uh, Nakanishi and Tiger Mask defeating the team of Tenzan and Ren Narita. Uh, Tiger Mask with the uh, Tiger Driver on Narita. Then we had Shingo Takagi. He defeated Kanamaru by disqualification. Uh, Desperado ran in, attacked uh, Shingo um, as he was going for the last of the dragon. Then Bushi ran in, took out both Kanamaru and Desperado with a double Hurricane Rada, which took us right into the next match, which was Bushi one-on-one with El Desperado, with that match ending in disqualification because Desperado ripped uh, Bushi's mask off. I like that idea, but they did this the last time that they did singles matches between the junior tags of LIJ and Suzuki-gun. They did, did the exact, exact same, same thing. thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't remember that, but I remember it. Yeah. And I was like, hold up. I know, we, Is this I mean. the same crap that I saw? Yeah, I mean, we've been watching every Road 2 show, and obviously we're, we're taking notes and paying attention to details. Well, after, some of us are. As we were watching this <laughs> thing, um, and... Yeah, I mean, this was the exact same thing. It's the same thing, yeah. And, I mean, both matches, I mean, they did a good job at, like, building heat for... But, it, I mean, it was in... You know, it wasn't anything that was, like, conclusive or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Um, the next match was the eight-man tag team match, Chaos, uh, Kazushiko Okada and Yoshihashi teaming up with Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tomioki Hanma defeating the Bullet Club, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, Jay White, and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, the one thing I do want to say is, throughout this whole tour, have you felt kind of like these matches have not really delivered at all? Yeah, they've, they've kind of just kind of been there. For whatever reason, like, this mix of, the whether it's a six-man tag, tag match, or eight-man, this group of guys together just don't seem to click. Yeah, and a part, part of it, too, I feel like, you know, Tanahashi and Okada, they're just kind of going through the paces, you know? They're not trying to, you know... Go all out and get hurt before their big matches coming up in Osaka. And then you got Hanma, who's you know not been the same since he's returned from injury. And then you have Yoshihashi, who's Yoshihashi. They they got a lot of talent though. I mean, yeah. just look at I mean Chase Owens. Um, you know Yoshihashi can deliver. Taka Yujiro can go when he wants to, but for whatever reason, it's not. A talent issue it's more just like the, the pacing or the right they just don't seem like the chemistry has been off for these matches i don't i don't know yeah and plus two i think because we've been watching these road two shows and watching all this stuff it's like we've been, we've been seeing bullet club versus chaos slash seki gun slash taguchi japan for slash so, gbh yeah for <laughs> so long now it's like almost like the same but you know i don't feel that way about lij and suzuki gun and I felt like I would, and I probably should, mm-hmm. but I've been thoroughly entertained. Even when the match, the I mean, none of the, their matches have been blow away either, but I've they've gelled and it's been entertaining. Whereas these chaos and bullet club matches, I you can miss me with it. Basically, yeah. is how I feel. And I guess the kind of another kind of big thing here was the fact that Tanahashi's team actually won here. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been getting for the most part dominated by Bullet Club. You know, ever since you know before Wrestle Kingdom, so. This was kind of a big win to help Tanahashi get some momentum going into uh, Sapporo. Uh, so then we had uh, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr., and Minoru Suzuki defeating Naito, Sonata, and Evil in a six-man tag. I like tag. this. 
I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, this is a good matchup here. Uh, once again, Saber pinned Evil with the European Clutch. So Evil once again failing to beat Saber here. Um, then this brought us to our main event of the evening for the Never Six Man Tag Titles. Uh, the most violent perverts, Togi Makabe, Toriyano, and Risuke Taguchi, <laughs> defeated the Bullet Club team of Tamatango Tangaloa and Taiji Ishimori when Taguchi submitted Ishimori with an ankle lock to get the win for his team here. Yeah, so this road to new beginning um, main event was done really 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 well in my opinion um i i think that with all because there was a lot of moving parts you had tanahashi getting involved you had jay white getting involved and then you had all the heat that they had to build towards taguchi and um and ishimori but also kind of parlaying that into the main event scene with tanahashi and jay white and also the tag teams because it does seem like you know they're 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 building this tag team deal as well between you know it's it's kind of cool to see two non-title but main event level like tag teams kind of building up heat so you kind of had that going with uh you know the most violent uh players which i think going forward it seems like that's going to be the team it seems like they're kind of cutting ishii and um toriano apart for, mm-hmm. the, for the most part and it, yeah and it seems like they they kind of got away from the gbh team of um, Hanma and um, Makabe. Makabe. So it's, you know, we've always talked about how we're big fans of them pushing their heavyweights and, you know, really developing that heavyweight scene. And so you've got, you know, the, the most violent players and GOD kind of like going at it as well. So I thought that this match did an excellent job building to all three of those um, feuds simultaneously and they did it the right way. Yeah. And, you know, that was big for Taguchi to get the submission and win on Ishimori. You know, he, he really hasn't gotten any momentum at all in these multi-man matches against Bullet Club. No. And so they've done a great job here. It makes Taguchi look like a credible uh, challenger, a credible threat when he faces off against Ishimori in Osaka. Um, you know, the fact that if he slaps that ankle lock on, he can, he can win the junior title. And, you know, Ishimori has had ankle issues in the past. So that kind of plays in that story there. So they did a great job here of making um, Taguchi look uh, credible. That was one of my gripes when they um, had originally... Um, when they had originally done the Kushida and Ishimori match at Wrestle Kingdom, I was just so perturbed that Kushida never tried to attack the ankle where I know that his tactic is usually to go after the arm to set up the har- the hoverboard lock but they did a whole story about this guy being on crutches and faking an injury and is it really injured is it not and then it never really came into play during out the throughout the match that seemed to be the wrong way to go for me if you're gonna do an injury angle you play it up in the match that's the story of the match they they missed the boat on that amongst other issues i had with that match at the time this is exactly what I want to see out of Big Match Taguchi, which we only get every so often. It seems like they're going to start being further and further apart yeah. as time goes on. Um, and with that being said, everyone kind of knows the deal. Like Nobody sees uh, you know, Taguchi being in um, Ishimori's league at this point. Like I don't think anyone realistically thinks he's going to beat Ishimori, especially all the interactions that they had during the... Um, Fantasca Mania tour 
and then everything le on the road to new beginning. This is one of this has actually been one of the best built matches of the entire tour up to this point because we've gotten two tours worth of backstory going into it, even, yeah. even though it's kind of underplayed. And so seeing him get the visual victory, taking gold off of him, and I think um, that was was that the uh, pr prediction that we both made. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think my whole thinking was we're going to watch him take gold off of Ishimori and it's going to cause doubt and build momentum to whether or not he could actually win this junior title. And I think that they did a superb job doing that. Yeah. And something else we've got we to talk about, um, you know, during this match and all the other matches featuring G.O.D., uh, we've seen good guy Tamatonga yes. stopping his um, partners from cheating, stopping uh, Master Heater, um, uh, what's his name? Jado. Uh, Jado from hitting people with the kendo stick. So, you know, we've got a question here from Reddit user uh, Eater of Bread, and he says, where do you think this uh, Tamatonga going, where do you think Tamatonga is going with the good guy storyline? <laughs> uh... <laughs> honestly, I have no clue what's happening with the good guy storyline. You know, at first it kind of seemed like this is going to be a ploy that he pulls, and then obviously he's going to reveal that he's been a bad guy the whole time, and he was just trying to trick people in order to possibly maybe win a match or trick somebody, but... This has been going on for a while now, and all throughout this tour, you know, we have, we see Tangaloa yelling at him, you know, telling him to wrestle, to attack, to telling him that we're bad guys, and he refuses to cheat, he, he, he's being forced into double team moves, um, he's stopping Jado from hitting people with the kendo stick, he's, you know, trying to wrestle a clean match, you know, he's on the outside, you know, why can't we wrestle, why can't we win clean, and doing all this good guy stuff and you know, a lot of the, that's cost them a lot of matches on this tours thus far but honestly I have no idea where they're going with it yeah it, it, it's really an interesting thing wouldn't you say um, I don't know where they're going with this whole thing on the one hand it's like um, I'm enjoying it <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it, like, it's, it's so entertaining. It's hilarious. It, it's so it's one of my favorite things in New Japan right now, and I feel like it's one of those things that could be really uh, diversive, or you know, I don't know what the word is, but basically, it's something that certain sect of fans might be totally turned off by because this is not a a level gimmick. It's not something that you would do with a main event level talent. I know Tama isn't necessarily seen as main event, but he's kind of seen as like the second in command essentially with with Bullet Club. Right. And it's something he's been in G1s and everything like that. So with that being said, it's some this persona there's no clear direction for where it's going. So many people are probably like already starting I've seen a lot of people like being turned off by it or being confused by it. And I think part of the confusion is um it's kind of like this. If you've ever taken uh, like an improv comedy class, one of the th like basic tenets is that you always agree with one another. Um, you know, someone could throw a scenario at you, and no matter how crazy or ridiculous it is, you just kind of go with it. Where the performance will suck is if one person goes against the grain and is non-agreeable, because then it causes conflict, and then and then the whole thing gets thrown off. I feel like that's where some of the awkwardness is. Is that like. Tamatonga is doing this bad, this good guy stuff, and the rest of the Bullet Club is kind of like, you know, in, in opposition to it. But they're not teasing dissension, right? 
we're, there's nothing that leads me as a viewer to believe that this is leading to a breakup or a split. There's also nothing that is leading me to believe that this is a long-term plan where they, they don't have a, an important enough feud where they can like where he can turn on somebody or this can play into a championship win. So it just seems like it's goofy for the sake of being goofy, and there's nothing else behind right. it. Right. I feel like Taylor Tonga is like, I just want, I want to do the storyline just because, and like, yeah, he just wants. He's like, maybe it's like he doesn't like. They're like, you can't cuss anymore. You can't hump the belt anymore. You can't do all this crap. He's like, all right, I'm gonna be a good guy. Then. <laughs> I'm the good guy, Tamatanga. Yeah. And, like, I, I feel like it's just a bunch of guys who don't have any creative or any agents telling them what to do. They're like, well, just go out there and throw this crap together. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to lead anywhere. I could, instead of it being this, we, we always talk about New Japan have, being so good at long-term storytelling, dropping little breadcrumbs. And maybe down the line they could hypothetically retcon this into something. But I really think it's going to be one of the things that we see sometimes where someone's doing something and then it just just gets dropped. Like, Last year, Toriano during the G1, fair play. And then it just disappeared. It never came back up again. I really could see the Tamatanga thing being just a phase and then going away. Yeah. Um, which you hate to see because I think that this is really entertaining. For me as a fan, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think it is freaking hilarious. Yeah, it's very entertaining. It's like most people, I don't just don't know where it's going. Yeah, you, and you, you it, want to know where this is going. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like you mentioned with, you know... Tangaloa and all these other guys are cheating and being the normal bullet club that you would expect and Tamatonga is like out here trying to get them to be baby faces. I feel like my theory is correct that like this is his response to Harold Mai and the new management. He's like, All right, y'all want me to do that stuff? <laughs> I'm gonna be a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I really feel like it's a rib at yeah. this point, is what it feels like. Yeah. It probably is. It probably is. It's probably something that they just sit in the back and drink over and think <laughs> it's hilarious. Um Reddit user Maserati has a question here. He says, is Bullet Club the most dangerous faction in NJPW right now? They seem to have the most members currently. Hmm. Well, I mean, most dangerous. What would you say to that? Um, I think, you know, with Jay White kind of being the leader right now and just kind of the way He's kind of ruthless, ruthlessly kind of attacking people. Yeah. Uh, his kind of his mindset and his takeover of Bullet Club. I guess you could see those guys as the most dangerous faction. You know, they got Balak Fale, and they've kind of reloaded with bringing back Chase and Ujiro, and they still have God, um, and they have Gato and Jado now. So I mean, they they can be a dangerous threat going against you know some of these factions that maybe only have five. People, five or six people on their team, um, but you know that Jay White's really the only one that's kind of been booked dominantly. Maybe Jay White and Ishimori. This is an Ishimori. Um, but you know, you got God. That's you know, kind of in the same spot they've always kind of been in. Bad Luck Fale is kind of the same spot he's always kind of been in. Same thing with Fujiro and Chase. Um, it's it's like a stable full of like mid and low carters with like just Ishimori and Jay White kind of being the main eventers. Yeah, I think everything rises and falls on Jay White. Mm -hmm. So if Jay White is able to pull off his master plan and take that top gaijin spot, take that top heel spot, then yeah, they'll have that's like a that's them fulfilling the prophecy, I suppose. Um, 
But even if they don't, you gotta imagine they are the top heel stable. I mean, that's the way I look at it. When you say most dangerous, I look at it as saying they're the most dang- they're the they're the top heel stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Suzuki Goon, which would be your next natural, you know, answer to that. And I mean, they've got very popular talent. They're very cohesive, but they are never booked as the top. Uh, heel stable even when they ha- do ruthless takeovers and you know jump people and stuff mm-hmm. it's usually for a short term um, program and it's never long term I mean they've never had the IWGP championship Suzuki is always seen as a very credit he's like the guy that's outside the top four at any given point and I mean he's believable and scary and all that and they're, they they cheat a lot but they're never at the top top, and it seems like they're poising Bullet Club to be at the top. So as far as like danger goes, yeah, I would say they probably are the quote unquote most dangerous, um, because you know GBH and Taguchi Japan and Sekigun and Chaos are all kind of just morphed into one big freaking we don't know what the crap it is. <laughs> yeah, and I and I wouldn't call Lij dangerous. Especially if they don't watch each other's back. How can they? Oh be? my god! <laughs> How can they be dangerous? Yeah. Um, so, some more follow-up from Maserati here. He says, how about the, that violent perverts trio? I love that NJPW, the more comedic wrestlers, can still be threats in any match. Do you think it's possible for this new team to make these titles more important and something worth fighting for? Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm very entertained by the MVPs. Uh, I think it will be a short-lived thing, just like most title reigns in New Japan, you know, when it comes to the Never Six-Mans. Um, I did see a, a picture someone posted where they said that the real mega powers of New Japan are Taguchi and Yano. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of hilarious. Um, but no, I just think, I mean, you know, as fans, we always want better. We always want more. We always want better. We always talk about, you know, championship reigns meaning more, wins meaning more, mm-hmm. things being booked better, this guy getting pushed this way or whatever. We always want that. But like, this title is what it is, and I'm never going to expect it to be elevated beyond being a nothing title that doesn't mean anything. It's just something for guys to do, and they can headline a, B, uh, a C show like they did here, and it kind of have a little bit of meaning, but it gets hot potatoed more than any other title in the company, and there's a reason for that. So, And I don't think that putting it on Yano, Makabe, and Taguchi elevates it in any way. <laughs> You're right. But I think it's funny, and I think it's good. I was glad to see them get the win, and I think it I think it was booked well. And I'm not complaining, but I'm also realistic about what this is. I'm not... Right. I'm not going expecting them to go on like this, some like year-long title run <laughs> with like multiple defenses and like four-star matches and like, yeah. The greatest <laughs> six-man tag team trio of all time. The MVPs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some other random trio that's put together that's going to be... But I do like that Yano and Taguchi can be comedic and then also taken seriously at the same time. I, I've always loved that. Yeah, because at any time, those guys could roll you up or... Yano be rolling people up all the time. Right, dude. Yano's a master of distracting the ref, can that low blow, getting that schoolboy. Remember when... Um, Remember when Taguchi pinned Kushida during Best Super Juniors in, like, less than a minute? Yes, with that schoolboy. <laughs> Everybody was shook, yeah. I think it was a small package, but still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, stuff like that happens, man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, Maserati, some more questions here. He says, 
Uh, going back to the previous question asked about when the Mega Aces formed, is it possible that Chaos and Taguchi Japan slash GBH form a new faction? They've told a story that has had a white in the BC dominating everyone, including the Mega Aces, for quite a bit now. And Chaos has been struggling, but would this merger be too much? I feel like I don't want to talk about factions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I put so much like thought and effort and intrigue into the whole Bullet Club thing last year and the whole Chaos thing last year. And it never was what I thought it could or should be. And so many people talking about Golden Elite, Golden Lovers Elite, you know, Bullet Club, you know, Elite, and then the the OGs and all this crap and everything. We're just like so perplexed. What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? And it's like, oh, they're gonna leave. Um, I I'm just gonna take it for what it is. I think that they there have been reports that they're gonna restructure things in New Japan with the faction alignments. We're already seeing that now. Where this is gonna lead. I have no idea, but I'm, I really can't speculate on what the who's in what groups or anything like that. Like, that's not even, I don't know, as a fan, it's not even something that really appeals to me. Yeah, and, you know, as far as, you know, talking about would this merger be too much, I mean, we've, we've pretty, they're pretty much kind of unofficially merged right now. These guys have been teaming together on multiple uh, six-man, eight-man, and ten-man tags. And with them working together, they still haven't been able to really defeat Bull Yeah, gel or defeat Bull Club. I mean, they've probably won uh, one or two matches against the Bull Club collectively, and it still hasn't been enough to stop Bullet Club. It feels like chaos doesn't exist anymore. Right. It, it feels like it's just, they've just, like, kind of symbiote, or like they've, os- they've gone, they've used osmosis to blend back into the New Japan Army. Um, do I think that there could be some new factions that are formed out of this? Yes. Um, I did see an interesting post on Reddit a few weeks back where they said every two years we get a new faction. Hmm. And it's been about two years since the last new faction, which was Taguchi Japan. So we're due for another one. Prior to that, it was uh, LIJ. you know. And so it does seem like every two years there is something forming. So yeah, I think there will be something new. But to speculate who's going where and who's going to do what. I know some people like that. I'm not crapping on it if that's what you like to do, uh, by all means. But I don't. (laughs) Because I'm not... And you know why? Because I'm not good at it. I'd rather talk about fantasy matches than fantasy um, factions because the factions don't really intrigue me that much. They, They serve their purpose. I think they're a great booking tool. And they're a great way to like understand who's aligned with who and all that. And I'm not knocking it, but I'm just never like all in on a faction, really, hardly ever. Except for like maybe LIJ is freaking awesome, but that's because they're this cohesive thing. Right. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like, what what's, what's happening here? Right. Like, I just want to know. I mean, we've kind of seen this kind of merger been happening over the few past few months now. And, Nobody's really addressed it. Like none of the people within the factions have really addressed it. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what the direction is. Like, are we? Is this going to be a new chaos, or we're we going to kind of get a small little GBH faction? Is this all? It's going to be sucky gun. Um, so I mean, I'm curious to what's going to happen. I'm kind of want to answer, but I'm sure they're going to keep kind of drawing it out. I feel like because there's so many moving parts, it's really hard to say what 
what will or won't happen. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like a lot of these fans who I see it on Reddit all the time, they're like, I think this guy should go here, this guy should go there, and they like build up this whole scenario. And it's like fantasy booking. Mm-hmm. And that's cool and it's great, but it usually never plays out the way you want it to play out, and then you're left kind of disappointed. They should have done this. And it was like, well, what led you to believe they were even going to do that in the first place? <laughs> right. I'm better at like booking championship long-term scenarios and trajectories of a singular guy or a heavyweight title scene or something like that. But to, I'm never good at this faction crap. <laughs> like I'm, It's too much for me. All right, so that's going to bring us to the new beginning in Sapporo, February 2nd. Opened up with a rematch with Ren Narita and Yuya Uemura. Ren Narita defeated uh, Uemura once again with the bridging belly to belly. Uh, this match was, uh, you know, about three minutes longer than their first matchup. Uh, what do you think about this one? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a, a fine, solid opening Young Lion match. I, th- I thought uh, Narita did a really good job. I thought it was funny uh, that the walkway was so much longer for this bigger show. Oh my god. It, it was hilarious. Like, Seeing them run. You, well, here's the thing. Yumura, like sprinted down the ramp, right? Yeah. Narita, like, he kind of came out running first, and then he kind of like, slowed down. He, he kind of stopped and like <laughs> did like a, like a little brisk jog to the middle of the ramp. He got, got to the end of the ramp, then then he took off and got into the ring. I thought that was funny. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, this was fine. Uh, I saw everyone gifting the uh, the bridging um, belly to belly, which is just it's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a thing of beauty, man. Just would you well, call it a Northern Lights? Um, I mean, technically, is that what it is? A Northern Lights suplex. Not really, because I mean, because Northern Lights usually you you yeah hook you hook around the, the waist yeah in their head. He's grabbing them straight up, belt like Kurt Angle. You're right. You're right. Belly to belly, popping the hips, but as he's coming over, instead of letting them go, he's holding on to them and bridging. I remember um, the first time I ever saw Northern Lights that I remember was uh, Shawn Michaels, and I thought like it was the greatest thing <laughs> I'd ever. Seen. I was like, this guy's incredible. He does Northern Lights. He does a super mm. kick. He'll mess you up with a freaking moonsault sometimes. Like, Teardrop suplex. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I remember um, being confused as a kid because I used to play the uh, the Genesis game. And he his finisher was the teardrop suplex like on Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is that his finisher? Why doesn't he super kick them? Because I forgot that he used to use that as the finisher when that game came out. And I was, you know, this is a couple years later, and I'm all on the Sweet Chin music, and I'm like, this game is stupid. <laughs> why is he Why is he doing a freaking Saito? Which, ba- I mean, basically that's what it is. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I thought this was, you know, solid opening matchup here. Um, like we mentioned earlier, kind of like the first match a little bit better, even though it was shorter. But, you know, pretty much shining up Narita here once again, that belly-to-belly is a thing of beauty. Not, uh, the next match was Manabu Nakanishi and Toa Hanare taking on Ayato Yoshida and Shota Umino. Umino and Yoshida were unable to keep up their momentum um, to eating the uh, loss here. We got to see the Toa Bottom make its rare appearance. We don't get to see that enough. Yeah, man. Toa Bottom. Uh, you know, Toa Hanare busted that out when he started um, getting some wins here. Interesting uh, match. Three really hungry, you know, guys. Just kind of running around Nakanishi as he just stood stationary. <laughs> <in the ring. laughs> yeah, just kind of working around this guy. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, you know, nothing too crazy happened in this match. Um, this is mainly a, a showcase for uh, Shoto Amino here. Um, but besides that, I mean, nothing. I thought Toa Hanari looked really good in this match. Yeah, he did. Uh, the the and actually this is the match that I was mentioning though where I said Umino is kind of tapping into more yeah and growing as a performer because I've never been on the hype train for Umino the way everyone else has I've always noticed that he's been pushed I've always noticed that he does a few things very well but you know I thought Big Cass had a really good like fiery comeback too and that didn't tell you much about him. <laughs> And I'm yeah. not I'm not trying to bury Umino, but I'm just saying he did a couple things very well. But everyone was like, "This guy's great," and I was like, "I've never seen it. Like yeah. I've never seen it out of him the way I was like when I see Narita, I'm like, oh my god, this guy's incredible." But uh, Umino's really, really coming along and showing something. And I don't know why this particular performance stood out to me, but like he just was able to tap into the drama and storytelling of it. I know storytelling, <laughs> but the storytelling of a match where I believed him as a performer in a way that I don't think I ever have up to this point. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a great offense in this match. He sold well. And it he was had, his selling. Yeah, he sold well, and he had just, he had intensity Yeah, in, in this match. Like he really wanted, you know, they he beat a Toa Hanare team. Previous in the tour, he wanted to do it again. Um, he had that confidence after that win. Um, so, yeah, he looked great here. Um, so our next matchup was Tiger Mask and Tenzon oh my God. against Iska and Taka Michinohu, and oh my gosh, this was trash. Yeah, this match was really bad. And uh, they're doing this whole storyline. Uh, so Tenzon and Iska used to be a tag team at one point, and Tenzon is trying to get Iska to you know stop being a madman and to go back to the old Iska that was you know this awesome wrestler. Um, so basically, Tenzan is Luke Skywalker and Isaka is Darth Vader. Exactly, except a less epic version of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, you got Tenzan. He cut, you know, cuts the promo at the beginning of the match. You know, trying, you know, hey, Isaka, you know, come back to being normal. And then you got you have the match, and you know, Isaka's retirement show is coming up soon. Um, Kazuna Road, dusty uh, old, <laughs> dusty old Takashi Isaka. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, man, this this was not good whatsoever. Not even a little bit. It was, bro. This is like one of the. Um, I know we we crap on Iska matches quite often and things like that, and you know some Suzuki Goon tags. But I'm like ready to go negative on this. Yeah, dude. This was this was. I'm ready to go negative stars, and I don't do that. Almost, I never say stuff like that. Hardly ever. I wouldn't even go one star on this. It was bad. It yeah, was actively it, bad. It was horrible. And then it ended in a freaking disqualification. I was glad. I was like, please, for the love of God, hit him with the freaking iron claw. Let's get, let's go. This nine minutes and twenty six seconds, I'll never get back. Yeah, Eska, he jumped in with a chair um, for the DQ, and then he hit Tenzon with the the iron glove after the bell. I watched this match with Rich. He was uh, chilling with me that night, and I don't think he would even remember this match because he fell asleep. Like, and I sat there like, my God, like this is so actively bad. Yeah, dude. Watching that, dude, I was so I was just like, what am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but so yeah. let's move on to something that was uh, slightly more entertaining. We had the uh, ten man tag team match, uh, Great Bash heel teaming with Toriyano and Yoshihashi, as well as Ryosuke Taguchi. Uh, they defeated the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Taiji Ishimori, Tamatanga, Tengaloa, and Yujiro Takahashi at 13 minutes and 38 seconds. Yeah, so once again we see, you know, Tamatanga pulling off the good guy um, kind of gimmick here. And, 
you know, really, you know, costing his team the match, you know, with him, you know, stopping guys from double teaming and stopping, trying to stop Jado from hitting people with the kendo stick here. Um, and, you know, another big win here for Taguchi, giving him some more momentum heading into Osaka. Yeah, it, I mean, this was fine. I think the highlight of this match, just in general, was seeing good guy Tamatanga do his thing. Um, I guess it did a fine job, kind of adding to the uh, the you know the junior feud between um, Taguchi and Ishimori, but that yeah. was about it. And, and the funny thing here, you know, with uh, Tamatanga, you know, being the good guy and like trying not to cheat. The good guys end up winning by cheating. Yeah. With Yano, uh, the referee was distracted. He had a low blow, and then the schoolboy on Yujiro Takahashi. Because he can't be a punk, bro. You'll get got. <laughs> You'll get got in the streets. Yeah. Uh, Toriano's like, I don't care about good guy or bad guy. I'm just trying to get this W. Yeah. I'm trying to get this. I'm a champion now. Like I'm trying to get these. <laughs> I'm trying to get these wins. I I don't remember. I don't think it was this match, but there was a match on the tour that I loved where. Toriano ran and did his thing where he runs to the corner and he pulls off the pad and then he tried to hit Tamatanga and Tamatanga caught it and, and then like, he ran back and retied it up. Yeah, yes, yes, that was hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I'm enjoying some of those antics, but uh yeah, it, it is so weird the whole thing with Tama and, and the Bull Club. I don't know what they're doing. I don't think they know either. <laughs> yeah. Uh the, uh the next match was uh tag uh six man tag. Uh, we had Suzuki Goon represented by Taichi, Yoshinabu Kanemaru, and El Desperado uh, taking on the team of Tetsuya Naito, Bushi, and Shingo Takagi. Yeah, you know, one, you know, like we mentioned all the time, LIJ, they work so great together, and this was helping build up the, the matches for the following show. Um, There's yeah. no jump start here. Yeah, no jump start, but uh, they were, you know, they did eventually kind of brawl out to the floor. Um, Naito and Tai Chi going at it throughout the match. Um, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary here between this match here. Um, at, after the match, uh, Desperado did unmask Bushi after the bell. Yeah. Uh, Miho Abe put the mask on and Tai Chi posed with Naito's belt. Just a lot of mind games. You had, you know, mm. Tai Chi being tranquilo all throughout the match. A lot of Kanemaru and Desperado using underhand tactics, attacking the mask, trying to double team Shingo, that sort of thing. So just just a lot of them trying to get inside the heads of, you know, the champions who they're going to challenge the next night, basically. Yeah. So then that brings us to the next match. We have Minoru Suzuki taking on Sonata. Uh, he defeated Sonata in 19 minutes and 41 seconds. And, you know, I thought this was a very good match, mm-hmm. even though it was kind of worked at a, a slower kind of pace than you would expect this match to. Um, essentially, you know, Sonata, or excuse me, Suzuki kind of working on Sonata, trying to cut him off, keep him kind of grounded um, with submissions and striking. And then Sonata, you know, trying to, at points, trying to lock in his submission, the, uh, the, uh, what, the Dragon Sleeper, what's he called it? The, uh, the, what's it? Why do I forget? It's not the col- Skull's End? Yeah, Skull's End. And then um, at points, you know, trying to hit the uh, Moonsault here. But eventually he, he got caught in the uh, sleeper and got um, hit with the, the gosh power driver. I actually like that. At the end, he Suzuki kind of slipped out of the skull end and rolled it into the choke and then hit the gosh power driver. And I like that he slipped out because we always criticize um, 
Sonata with these loose kind of dragon sleepers. And I, not- I don't like it. It's not even really a dragon sleeper anymore the way he does it. I guess when you look at it from a technical standpoint, you would say it's a dragon sleeper, but really it's a neck crank. Yeah. Because he's not cutting off in a kayfabe or real sense. He's not cutting off any circulation. It's not a choke. He's literally. It's not a choke. It's not a choke. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, guys. If if you've never seen the uh, the 1982 match between uh, between uh, Killer Khan and Andre the Giant, go out of your way to check that out. Yeah, you can watch it on Daily Motion. It's not on New Japan World, but I'm telling you, you you got to see this match. It's freaking awesome. And um, Andre, little known fact about Andre is like if you ever go back and watch some of the vintage matches of his, he I think. The only guy he's maybe second to in this area is Ric Flair, where he will interact with referees and and call things out to them and build a match around like the heat between him and a referee. Andre was a master of that, and like he doesn't ever get props for it. But yeah, man, like him him putting Killer Khan in chokeholds and then the referee, you know, trying to break him and Andre being like, "It's not a choke." <laughs> At one point, Andre grabs the referee and puts him. He's like. See, this is what I was doing. And, like, he's <laughs> killing this referee. It's awesome. But, um, yeah, no, the, the skull end is not a choke. It's literally him just cranking on the end of their head and cranking the neck back. Yeah. But they sell it, and everyone acts like it's a it's a, a drag- choke or a dragon yeah. sleeper. It, yeah. It's not. But, yeah. Um, this is the second meeting between these guys. They had one match during the 2017 G1 Climax where Suzuki took away the win early in the tournament. Um, I thought that this match was my match of the night. Um, maybe even um, my match of the entire tour so far. Mm. Um, that's not to say that this was blow away or anything like that. I thought it was very, very good. Um, actually, no. I, I don't know. I, my, I, would, you, would you put this over the Tanahashi Kushida? Yeah, I, I misspoke. No, I wouldn't. Actually, but it's about it's in the same range, you know. Yeah. I think I went three and three quarters on this, but um, yeah. I mean, Sonata trying so many times to get the Paradise Lock and then finally getting it. And then, oh yeah, that was a big moment, and you know, Milano was so happy, gave him you know the big thumbs up from commentary. Um, you know, and Suzuki being so pissed from there, <laughs> you knew he was going to kill Sonata. What I really liked was. Suzuki's striking exchanges in this match. I mean, he's always he always has fantastic strikes, but when he goes into that other mode and he just starts like spouting off the strikes, the one, two, three, four, five, six, and like yeah, um, almost I, like he's freaking the uh, E Honda from Street Fighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, I I love it. I mean, I've been a fan of Suzuki since you know the Pancreas days, and I mean, I I'm still. I, I, I know that we see an MMA-centric offense from him and stuff, but I love it when he really taps back into those roots. So seeing him do that stuff to Sonata was awesome. I thought that the begin like the early parts of this match were slower. It was fine. But where this match, at the end when it picked up, it got good, and it was the end of the match was really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they kept teasing the gotch, and uh, every time Sonata got out, he got hope spots, and you kind of believed when when um when he went for the uh, moonsault and Suzuki at the last second got his knees up, I was like, oh, so <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was I thought it was very 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 good. Um, and you know like I should be sitting. Sonata's awesome. Like Sonata has all the talent in the world. We say it all the time, but like in 2019, I should be like exclaiming about how Sonata made this match and Sonata like blew. 
Suzuki away, but like but it's Suzuki, man. It's Suzuki, bro. <laughs> Suzuki Ichiban. <laughs> Suzuki. You know, we, we we complain about like the New Japan dads, right? We complain about like, um, and I've gotten flack for that, but I complain about like Nakanishi and Tenzan. Bro, they're like from like two generations after Suzuki. This dude like debuted in '88 when I was born. We're talking 30 years, and he moves and wrestles like he's one of the top, top, top guys. And I mean, he's old. I mean, he's old as hell. Like, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I like this. I thought it was very good. So next we had Evil taking on Zack Sabre Jr. And then Chris Jericho came out. He attacked Evil. No, no, that, that was that was King of Pro Wrestling. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I watched the wrong match then. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this was the rematch of what was supposed to happen at King of Pro Wrestling. No uh, interference from the Alpha here. We finally got the one-on-one match here. Um, Evil finally defeating Zack Sabre Jr. I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to happen at some point. Um, I, th- I was thinking they were going to save it for the tag match, but I guess they wanted to give Evil kind of the big one-on-one win. Um, and to me, you know, this match was not that great. This this match had an even... I wasn't high on it. Yeah, this match had a slower pace than the Suzuki and Sonata match. And, you know, I don't know. I guess with Sabre and Evil, you know, Sabre is really awesome at what he does. But sometimes if he doesn't have the right opponent, it doesn't make for the most exciting matchup. And with Evil, Evil was not the right opponent for the Sabre style of match here. I, I was very excited for this match based off of the prior build that we'd gotten, you know, coming out of the G1. That's when that stuff was all kind of popping off, right? G1. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it seemed like that was around the time when we started getting the multi-man matches and, you know, the road to uh, King of Pro Wrestling and, you know, it didn't matter what happened. Zack Sabre had his number every time they wrestled in multi-man matches and, you know, then the, the whole thing happened with Jericho at King of Pro Wrestling. Was that King of Pro Wrestling? Yes. Yeah. So when they finally announced this match, I was very excited because we've been waiting a long time for it to happen, but... Without that build and anticipation, I never would have been excited for this because I've never thought to myself, you know what would be freaking awesome? Evil and ZSJ. Like, <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? I got to be honest with you. I'm not the biggest supporter of Evil. Um, I think he has his place in the company. I think that he ha- has a good character and he's a good power guy, but I'm never really that intrigued by him. I don't see him in the same caliber as like an Elgin or Jeff Cobb or anything of that nature. I just think he happens to be aligned with the most popular group in the company. I know a lot of people love Evil. I know they do. I don't. And it's because of performances like this that we get pretty regular from him, you know? Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I love Evil, but I like Evil. Um, I think with the right opponent... He can have good matches, but Saber is just not the right guy for him to wrestle. For me, and I don't want to turn this into like a burial for Evil because it's I, I think Evil is good. And I'm not saying Evil's bad. But there are guys that he doesn't There are times where you think he's gonna perform to a certain level and he doesn't. And then yeah. there's other times where he's surprising and you're like, Whoa, where'd that come from? you know? Um, but this was a big opportunity for him and I don't think he lived up to it. And I don't think it was all his fault either. Don't get me wrong. Um, Zack Sabre 
we praise him all the time and when the crows come to roost and someone isn't performing well you got to kind of throw that out there and i didn't think that zach was great in this match either he did a lot of the stuff that he does but he did it in, in the way that we kind of criticize where it's like you know a lot of these like trans submissions and a transitions for the sake of just transitioning but there's no like like there's no story or method behind it i yeah. don't think evil did a good job selling it it was very slow very boring and it seemed like zach if you're gonna get him out of there get him out of there uh i didn't buy into the hope spots and then they try to do the whole like evil battering you know zsj thing and zsj like selling and and crumbling but that didn't seem to connect or resonate with me either for whatever reason they just didn't seem to gel or have good chemistry yeah. to me um, and, and you know what? Maybe I'm off base because there I saw a lot of people that thought that this is match of the night. There's a lot of people that, that dug this. But for me, it just – I don't know why. It just missed the mark. I never got into this match. And it went way too long in my opinion. Yeah. I wasn't thrilled with this match at all. I, you know, I thought the uh, Sonata-Suzuki match was better. Um, yeah, this went way too long. And these guys just didn't – like you mentioned, they sit in jail, didn't have great chemistry. They tried to do like an epic – they did. They tried to do that that epic like New Japan main event twenty and, to thirty minutes. And it never felt style. like that to me. You know, they went to the ramp and you know, Evil hit that uh, the Fisherman Buster on Saber on the ramp. That that was pretty. Na- that was cool. Yeah. That was cool. <laughs> um, that was like, the high spot in the match, and then there was something really that exciting afterwards. I was I was very surprised at the end when. Um, you know, he ended up catching Saber with the everything is evil and getting him out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, that just. I, I know that you thought that that was going to happen, but I didn't because I felt like you saved that for the match the next night sort of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I predicted that it was going to happen in the tag match, but I wasn't surprised that it happened in the one-on-one match just because I know how New Japan views evil, and eventually they, he needed to get a one-on-one victory back over Saber. I, I agree with that, but, you know, I'm so accustomed to Gato doing this thing where you know, kind of like what he'd already done where he was losing, losing, losing and then they set up the big match and you think it's his come up and then, nope, you're going to eat another loss. That's mm-hmm. what I expected, but um, we've talked about it before. They they are high on evil, you know. I think it's funny because so many people take us to, not so many people, but people have criticized me for being like, you know, New Japan's high on, on Jay White, right? And mm-hmm. being like, they're going with him. Can't, can't you see it? They're going with him. And people being that stupid, he can't deliver, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but I think you compare him to an evil, who they're also kind of going with, and I, it's night and day. I mean, like... Yeah, Jay White blows evil out of the water. Right, and Jay White isn't anywhere close to being the top guy, like top in-ring performer. I wouldn't even put him in the top ten in the company. And so, like, my fear is, like, they're going to really push evil, and, like, I don't think he has it. I, I really don't. I think he's a good guy to have on the roster. I think he's got his role. But they've tried several they've done main events with him you know he had those matches with kenny omega the match with okada um and it seems like you know come g1 season i wouldn't be surprised for him to have a with a lot of the guys leaving he's probably gonna be prominent him beating zach saber i'm sure they're gonna run it back at some point this year yeah and i'm just um i'm not criticizing the booking decision i was surprised by it but i'm not criticizing it's fine it's you know that makes sense i i'm more criticizing like i wouldn't go with evil <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i don't i don't know but he he does you know his character work is good and all that so he's a good promo 
And that brings us to the main event of Night 1 with Switchblade, Jay White, and the Rogue General, Bad Luck Fale, defeating the Mega Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kazuchika Okada. Kind of seemed like they were trying to build all of Night 1 off of, like, kind of just this match, really. Like, yeah. You know? And um, I don't know, man. What did you What did you think of this? You know, I, I, w- I wasn't really thrilled this match. Um, I don't know what it was, but I, I don't feel like, once again, I kind of feel like these guys were kind of holding back, trying to save, going all out for Osaka. Um, you know, Bad Luck Fale didn't really look great in this match at, at all, just kind of bumbling around. Um, yeah. Just... I thought the beginning where Jay White um, came out and demanded that the press take pictures of the real Dream Team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really funny. Um, you know, and then Tanahashi and, and White. I thought that Jay White and Tanahashi worked well together. Um, everything was fine, but I, I'll be honest. I'm going to go a, a step further. I don't think it's just that uh, Fale didn't look good at all. I think he looked very bad. Very, 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 very bad to a point where um, and maybe I'm do you think I'm being too critical and saying like it was a little bit like it's an embarrassment at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm I just a lot of these multi-man uh, Fale matches, I'm not impressed and dude, he's I, not trying anymore. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point like what value does Bad Luck Fale truly bring to the roster, um, to the Bullet Club? It's like you can find somebody that's as tall as him, as big as him, that's more athletic, and that's more motivated, and that's going to try. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a guy that's going out here wearing shirts that say, uh, pin me and pay me. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, like, he, like um, I think the thing with him is, like, yeah, he, obviously – Fale, from all reports, is a good guy in the industry. People like him. He's got a prominent role. He's got a very important role to play when it comes to the oceanic, you know, connection with Australia and his dojo and all that. And I commend him for all that. And in the past, Fale's been a guy that you can kind of depend on to do what big men do when needed and when called upon and necessary. Those days seem to be gone for whatever reason. I thought him losing all this weight and kind of getting remotivated would would bring back some of the and and he's never been a world beater. So I'm not like trying to hype him up and say like he was ever Big Van Vader or anything like that. No. Right. But um, it, it's to a point now, and like some people probably think I'm being too harsh, but like I sometimes I feel like you have to be harsh on some of these guys, and like this is the main event of a B show. And I know that he's there to, like, take the pinfall or whatever, but he looked bad, man. He looked really bad, and it, it he looked lazy, like he's not trying at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and that sucks when you're trying to get over Jay White, when you're trying to, you know, get over o- Okada and, and, and the, the Mega Aces. Um, one of these guys doesn't look like the rest, and it was very, very apparent, and I thought it – really hurt this match. I mean, I thought that this match could have been something really good. Right. And this I don't match think, should have I don't been think it was... with Okada and Tanahashi teaming up in just a tag match. Like, this should have been a more special moment. This should have been an epic match. Like, this match should have been, um, like, also maybe not to the level of, like, the Omega, uh, the Golden Lovers against Tanahashi and Osprey, 
but it should have been treated special almost like that match was. You know what I'm saying? It's not that from a booking standpoint they put the wrong guy in there. They put the right guy in there, but he didn't try that night. Yeah. And given the kind of performance they put, I would say it's about like, I don't know, three and a half, maybe lower, which is fine, but it's mm-hmm. the main event of, you know, a new beginning tour show. If you had put this like number, f- if this was the fourth match on the night, I would have been fine with it. That's the kind of performance and kind of hype and feel it had. Um, I think they've done a lot of things on this tour to do good things to build towards Tanahashi and Jay White, but this match didn't seem to fit into that at all. Um, yeah, I thought I, I think that someone needs to talk to Bad Luck Fale at this point and either let him fill out his role that he, you know, his backstage role, give him his job. Maybe he can be like a, a bodyguard in the yeah. bull club. But if he's going to put in performances like this going forward, like then there's no point in him performing. Yeah. So he's not up to the working standard. Yeah, but the uh, the big story of this match, though, was um, Jay White submitting Tanahashi with an inf- inverted figure four, which he's calling the TTO. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like- Tanahashi taps out. Um, so, yeah, he they, they hit Tanahashi with a chair and knee. Um, he locked in the inverted figure four, and um, Fale and Gato kept Okada outside, which allowed Jay White to get Tanahashi to tap. Yeah, the the few times where he's attacked this knee, um, it's been so freaking vicious. Like, um, people people talking about like now that's one thing I will say. Like Tanahashi, whether it's a sell or not, like I think part it's partly a sell. Like the way he's selling his knee is like incredible. It's mm-hmm. like full circle. We're back to a year ago at New Beginning when he was the IC champion and Suzuki wrecked his knee. Yeah. Yep. It feels a lot, lot like that again, and he's doing an incredible job selling the knee on this tour. I love this uh, this finisher, this new uh, submission hold. Um, I like it a lot. My big question, though, and this is what I think everyone's wondering, if you turn that over, does it reverse the pressure <laughs> onto Jay White? Tanahashi should try that in the in the, in the Osaka <laughs> match. Um, but yeah, clearly, you know the the bullseye is going to be on Tanahashi's knee going forward. Um, they did a great job. Here. This big win here um, helps solidify Jay White as a title contender, and he has the you know submission victory over the current champion. So he's looking real strong going into Osaka. And we have a question here from Dom Homie One Hundred One: What are the pros and cons? of Switchblade winning at New Beginning in Osaka? That's a loaded question. Um, okay. Well, maybe we should go back and forth a little bit on this. So, like, okay. what, what do you think is a pro of him winning? So, I think a pro of him winning is you get um, somebody new, somebody fresh as the IWGP champion, which could lead to new matches and new rivalries. That's true. I also think that it could help, um, hypothetically, not to take uh, attention off this matchup or off Jay White, but he could serve in a transitional role to put the title on someone that maybe the fans want to see win it, like a Naito or like a Nokata. Mm-hmm. That is one thing that's there. Um, what's a con? Khan, if he wins the title here, he's probably not losing it uh, before MSG. 
and we'll have to see him and MSG as a champion. And I, and I want to see Tanahashi versus Okada. Mm. So you, you would be. Do you feel like the Madison Square Garden show would be less appealing with Jay White as the IWGP champion? A little bit, yeah. I mean, the, there's been so much talk of you know wanting to bring the authentic New Japan experience to America and doing a big match like Tanahashi Okada. I, I think if you know they want to make that show like a standout show that weekend, they need a match the caliber of Tanahashi and Okada. And you know, I, I think Jay White is a very good wrestler, but he he is still developing and has not reached that level to where he's having these epic main events. And I, I feel like Madison Square Garden needs an epic main event. Yeah, so I would say one pro not just new matchups or anything like that, but I feel like you have the ability if if he wins um, then you have established a new guy pretty much forever. Like that, that's his coronation. He's here. Like you have, you, you've taken a guy in one year and made a big star out of him, a big, big, big star, which translates to money, which translates to marketability. Um, and that would be a job well done to him, a job well done to Gato. So I think that that's a, that's an awesome pro. Um, the con is, I don't know if he's ready for it because I don't know if he is up to the working standard that we become accustomed to for main event level guys. Um, and I know that sounds contradictory to things I've said about how I think he's a great wrestler. I think he is, mm-hmm. but he's not the caliber of a Kenny Omega or an Akota Bushi or Tanahashi or, Tanahashi or, or, or Ishii. Yeah. Or Will Ospreay, or any number of Naito, any number of guys. Now he might get there, but I don't know if in February of 2019 he's ready to carry the company yet. Right. And I don't know if fans are ready to accept him in that role because he's at a certain level and he hasn't shown the ability to get to the next level, even. With Okada in the dome, basically, right. Um, so that could hypothetically be a con. Now it could also be a pro if he delivers. You know, um, if if on that that level he delivers. But um, any other pros or cons you can think of? Um, Do you think it could be a con for the fan base? Do you think it could turn people off from New Japan? Yeah, I think it definitely could. It could, you know, because a lot of people are not bought in on Jay White. Um, especially after uh, this past year's Wrestle Kingdom, when they didn't get like the 30-minute um, Okada epic, and they're blaming it on Jay White. Um, with Jay White winning the belt here, they, that can totally turn off Westerners and um, stop them from watching the product. That's true. That's true. Um, but maybe Tanahashi makes him, man. Maybe he does. Yeah, he could, yeah. So it, it's hard to say yet. Those are th- that's the way I see it. I mean, it, it could go one of two ways, obviously. But um, yeah, those are the pros and the cons. Well, so that's night one. Let's jump over to night two here. I I do want to say too, um, Kevin Kelly and Andy Simmons, who did the commentary on these two nights, uh, I thought were a very good team. Um, I kind of see more what people are talking about with Andy Simmons being a a, a welcome addition. I think he has become more comfortable in the role now that he's had a few appearances. And I thought he was great. Yeah. Yeah, he was good. 
Uh, did you see uh, Yotsuji fall? Yes, I did. So yes, the opening <laughs> match here was a uh, Toa Hanare defeating Yota Suji, and uh, Suji came out first. And you know, as young lions do, they bolt down to the ring. And we mentioned earlier this was a longer ramp. It also had like a little dip to it, like and, two dips. And Suji, yeah, he he tripped on the way down, <laughs> and you know, he tried to sell it, like look at the ramp, like the ra- like something, you know, something like grabbed him or something. But yeah, not a, not a good luck for Suji here. I think that I had high anticipations for this match. I don't have anything to complain about, but, um, you know, I think that we set ourselves up for some high expectations. We were like, strong style fight of the year (laughs) contender. (laughs) This definitely wasn't that, but I thought it was a very good, good match for both guys. Three stars, and I thought, you know, Suji looked very, you know, full of fire, full of fighting spirit in a losing effort, and Hanari looked great. I thought it was good. Really good match. Great, great win for Hanare. We see the, uh, the Toa bottom once again, and yeah, Hanare picks up some momentum. The next match, uh, Ayato Yoshida and Shota Umino uh, taking on Ma- uh, Manabu Nakanishi and Tiger Mask. And um, yeah, I think Tiger Mask from this point on should do nothing but wrestle Young Lions because uh, he's just freaking awesome. Just, yeah, like, dude, slaughtering we, we, them. we got a grumpy, mean Tiger Mask and just. Seems to be so pissed off at these young lions all the time, and he just goes in there and wrecks them with strikes and submissions, and just goes like all out on these guys. And this was fine, uh, nothing special. You know, the highlight was Tiger Mask beating up young lions, which is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that this was as good as the tag match they had the night before by any means. Yeah, um, you know, probably like two and three quarters here. Uh, but this was this is fine. Yeah, Tiger Mask got the win with the butterfly suplex off the top rope. And then um, the next match we had uh, Takashi Iska and Takamichinoku from Suzuki Goon taking on Hiroyoshi Tenzan and Ren Narita. Was this a exact? Was this a, a rematch of the night before? Same uh, teams? No, I believe the partner was different. I'm trying uh, to remember who Tenzan teamed with the night before. The night before, um, Tenzan teamed with Tiger Mask. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, and um, so yeah, here he's teaming with Narita, and once again, this was not as bad, but it was still pretty bad. Still pretty bad. Ends in a disqualification again, and we're still seeing the whole storyline of Tenzan trying to get Iska to go back to being uh, normal and stop being crazy man, and that just pissed Iska off and led to this horrible match where. Iska gets disqualified once again by using the iron fingers on Tenzon. One of these days, I'm going to make you watch a, a, an Iska match where he's actually awesome, and you're going to be like, what the crap? Is the uh, the free match of the week, would that be one of them? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, moving on. Uh, my, my, highly, uh, my highly recommended match of Iska's would be the match from 1991 that he had with Owen Hart uh, from Tri-State. Uh, Tri-State Wrestling, Joel Gearhart's um, precursor to ECW. Mm-hmm. Um, that match is really, really good. Also, you can on the WWE Network they got a match with him and uh, Fujinami taking on the Steiner Brothers when he's at, like pretty much a young lion, and it's kind of funny because he's wearing like pink, uh, pink trunks, and they are just Steiner Brothers drop him on his head like eight times, <laughs> like they just kill him. Damn, I'll check that out. Uh, so next we got uh, Togi Makabe, Kitaguchi, Tomioka Hanma, and Toro Yanu taking on the team of G.O.D., Taiji Ishimori, and uh, Yujiro Takahashi. Um, 
the most violent pervert slash great bash heel um, defeated the Bullet Club team here. And again, we get more uh, Tamatanga um, trying to be a good guy and refusing to uh, cheat and trying to wrestle clean. Um, one, of, one of the only problems I have is when you do a tour like this and you give away a big title match, Not and obviously that title match, we kind of praised it for building up other matches on the tour, but when you keep doing night after night, you get a lot of the same matchups and a lot of the same spots and a lot of the same things. So, like, yeah, we got a lot of that bad boy Tamatanga or the good guy Tamatanga stuff, but it's, like, the same stuff we've been seeing every night. So it's, like, the same thing, basically. Yeah. And so, um, once again, got a nice little preview of um, Taguchi and Ishimori for their title match coming up in Osaka. Um, Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing really else more happened this match here um the next match after that we had uh bullet club jay white Balak fale and chase owens taking on kazushika okada hiroshi tanahashi and yoshi hashi yeah i mean this match was again just kind of it was there it was fine like nothing out of the ordinary here um just continuing to build up heat for the Okada Bad Luck Fale match and the Jay White Tanahashi matches that are happening in Osaka. It was interesting how, like, I think we all anticipated that Fale was going to be a pin eater. And then we got the TTO. And then going into this match, you know, you've got the pin eaters here. But, like, the doubt is kind of created there in the fact that Jay White had cleanly beaten, you know, Tanahashi just the night before. And you kind of, mm. you're like, are Chase and Yoshihashi there to pin eat falls or are they not, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah, and um, after the match, we had Tanahashi um, kind of trying to go after uh, Jay White, but eventually got hit with the Blade Runner, and uh, you know we have Jay White, you know, kind of posing with the belt again, uh, just being an absolute uh, dick and uh, absolute heel. Now, do you think they're putting Jay White over too strong, similar to the way that they had done with Taichi on the tour and? Are they telegraphing the fact that he's not going to win based on all that? Or are they doing what they did with him and Okada? Honestly, like I think they, they might be trying to do what they did with him and Okada. Because, you know, for that match, I, well, if I said I was like, man, I feel like they he's getting too much momentum. Okada has to win at Wrestle Kingdom. But he ends up beating Okada. And that could very well be the same scenario here where he's getting all this momentum because he's just gonna straight up beat Tanahashi in Osaka. Hmm. So then um post match uh Gato slapped down Tanahashi before White kicked away Tana's leg, um, leading to a blade runner and him just kind of like doing the cutthroat poses and just looking super dominant dominant over Tanahashi. Um, the match after that, we got the first title match of the night: the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag, or uh, yeah, Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title holders, uh, Bushi and Shingo Takagi, defending against El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. And uh, you know, the build about to this mask has all really been a lot about the masks. Um, with uh, Bushi losing his mask, the you know the show before this, and the, yeah, um, what did you think here? So that was all right. Match. I mean, it, it kind of started off slow. Um, they worked a nice, steady pace throughout the match. I feel like this match was really, once again, mainly about building up Shingo 
Um, there was a point here where they uh, uh, Shingo was doing kind of a lot of selling, being beaten down by Kanemaru and Desperado, and had a great comeback. And then uh, towards the end of the match, it was pretty much uh, Shingo um, going off, you know, facing off with Kanemaru and trying to come back with a, uh, from a knee injury and really trying to fight back against Kanemaru until Desperado could finally get in there and they hit the um, resistance, I believe, is that the, what it's called, the resistance or double team move? I don't know. Um, and get the win. I like this match, like, a lot. Um, I went four stars on it. And okay. I thought that it was probably the, depending on your tastes, because we're going to talk about a, a pretty controversial match here at the end. <laughs> yeah. But depending on your taste, this might have been for me the match of the night. Um, I thought that, you know, it's funny because we always talk about how good um, Desperado is, and we kind of always downplay Kanemaru, but like. Yeah. Kanemaru, yeah, he was really good in this match. Kanemaru was really good in this match. He's been good on this tour. Um, you know, I don't think Kanemaru's, like, got the juice or anything like that, but. Every now and again, he just pulls out some really cool crap, and you're like, oh, okay, Kanemaru, I see you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it goes to fear. I mean, he's a longtime veteran. He, you know, was the most decorated junior in NOAA history. I mean, the guy's been around the block, and he's good. Um, I think my problem with Desperado and Kanemaru have always been, like, the lazy and the tropes. The and, brawling and the cheating. Yeah, and all that. And, and th- there was a, quite a bit of that in this match, but... I really liked seeing them go at it with Shingo and Shingo just looking like a total dominant juggernaut. Like just, you know, we're getting, you know, kind of like how Shingo was just a bully in Dragon Gate. Having him in the junior division in New Japan is kind of a similar thing. And I mean, he's just out here wrecking people. Yeah. Um, I, I thought all three, all, all four guys did a good job, include even Bushi, who hardly ever does anything. Um, I also really appreciate that this was a, a straight up tag team match we didn't have to have six guys in the ring mm-hmm. um and i feel like this came off way better than most of those six uh those uh three-way tags um but i think that this all really came down to desperado and his mask at the end basically yeah i mean a lot of emphasis on um like you mentioned with desperado and bushi's mask and um towards the end um kind of Maro tried using satori whiskey but Bushi used a chair to protect it, and then he hit the the mist on um, on Katamaru, and then they were able to hit the rebellion. And then uh, post match, Bushi pulled off Desperado's mask and threw it out in the crowd. Yep, and they didn't get disqualified over it. They waited till after the match was <laughs> over. Yeah. So yeah. I think all, all all four guys put in a good performance here. And we have a question here from Wilfred from the Wilfred Watches podcast right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. He says, my thought, Despy loses loses his mask to Bushi and goes on an IWGP Junior Tunnel Run. What do you guys say? Uh, I think that that's a scenario that we I kind of had laid out earlier on the show, and I could definitely see that happening. Um, I mean, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like we mentioned earlier, we kind of talked about it earlier, but yeah, it's definitely a possibility, especially with, you know, not that many kind of junior stars there. Like Desperado is somebody... You could heat up and, want, like we mentioned earlier, use the losing of the mask to kind of catapult him into a main event picture in the junior division. I do wonder if he would go back to his real name, uh, Kiyosuke Mikami, um, or if he would just stay El Desperado. Um, that's that's a question I don't really have an answer to. I don't know if he goes on an IWGP Junior run. He doesn't. To me, he doesn't have to lose the mask to go on that run. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but of the two guys, for whatever reason, I feel like Desperado is the more likely guy to lose the mask because I feel like he's got more to offer. Bushi has nothing else. <laughs> like, yeah. Bushi is all glitz and glamour, and, and, you know, he's all sizzle, no steak. Yeah. He, he loses that mask, and I and he's a jag. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, the following match, we had Evil and Sonata defeating Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. to retain the IWGP Tag Team titles. So what do you think about this one? Um, I thought that this was pretty good. Um, I think it slightly under-delivered to what my expectations might have been. Um, I was hoping for just something to be higher caliber. I, I'm not really complaining, but I feel like that's kind of the story of this entire tour so far. Yeah, honestly, this whole kind of tour has just kind of been, man, just kind of been there. Yeah. There was a, f- a few little nuggets of, a few little highlights, but I mean... Overall, the matches that you expect to deliver a little bit higher quality kind of fell flat. Like, I'm not going to turn around after this tour is over and then come awards season and say that any of these were show of the year candidates. Yeah. Nothing, none, none of these shows really stood out to me as being blow away. Yeah, I don't think we'll, we'll see any show of the year candidates, and I don't think there's going to be any match of the year candidates off of this tour at no, all. No, not even close. I mean, potentially with... Uh, the new beginning in Osaka. Yeah. That's a possibility that we still got that going. But if you compare this to last year's tour, we had several really great matches. And on this one, we, we've had a lot of good matches. I mean, it's not like it's been bad wrestling. But, I mean, I was expecting, you know, Sabre and Suzuki against, uh, you know, LIJ to be like a blowaway match. It would have been my pick for match of the night. And, I mean... Um, I thought it was fine, and I thought it was good. They told a good story, but this didn't really catch me like that. Yeah, I, I, I was expecting this match to be a little bit better than what it was. Um, but like we said, it was it was still a good tag team match here um, with Lij um, getting the win. I did like the interactions between Sonata and uh, Zack Saber, though. Kind of calling back to the match they had at the G1 this past year, giving me a lot of like world of sport vibes. So I, I kind of appreciate that. Um, what did you think about it being Suzuki who ate the pinfall and not Zack Saber? I thought that was very interesting, and I guess that you know that kind of shows you how much they kind of value Zack Saber and kind of see what they have in him. You know, 2018 was a great year for Saber and the way they pushed him, and I, they definitely want to keep pushing him. Going in 2019, and he already ate that lost evil. And <clears throat> excuse me, Suzuki was the one that won against Sonata, so kind of, kind of giving Suzuki that L there, and then kind of protecting Saber a little bit from taking two pinfalls. Yeah, I think that's the main point. They don't want Zack Saber to take pinfalls two nights in a row, so that's mm-hmm. why they did it with Suzuki. But uh, I, I think it's a, it's a very telling thing, very, very telling that that's the way they did it. Yeah. So then uh, that's going to lead us to our main event for the IWGP Intercontinental title. Uh, you had uh, the Lord Taichi uh, challenging against Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, and so Naito is making his way to the ring for the main event, and Iska comes out of nowhere, jump zone, hits him with a ladder, and he's choking him. All the young boys are trying to get him off, and Iska's destroying the young boys. Uh, no Lij in sight. You know, apparently, like there's just either there's just no monitors backstage in New Japan, or 
these guys already went to the shower or they already left or whatever. But uh, yeah, no LJ, LJ in sight. Then uh, Taichi comes out to the ramp. He hits the Black Mephisto, which is an air raid crash on Naito on the ramp. Got personnel checking on Naito. Um, so this this was very interesting because prior to the match, uh, Taichi had been talking about how you know this date was significant in that city, Sapporo, which also happens to be Taichi's hometown. Yeah, and that anything could happen. He was. I'm kind of paraphrasing. So then, to have Iska come out and attack Naito, they basically were doing a homage, if you would, to um, an event that took place years and years prior. Uh, you know, it's famously referred to as the Sapporo Terrace Incident, where there was a, a famous match where Fujinami and Choshi were supposed to uh, wrestle, I believe it was in 84, um, on the same date, where... They, they had just come off their long series of matches from, you know, the end of 82 all the way through 83. And prior to the match starting, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara comes out and attacks Ricky Choshu. The match never ends up happening. And it, it very similar to the way that, um, that Isaka attacked Naito. And that was a very, like, that's a very well-known New Japan, like, historical event it's like kind of what put fujinami on the map the fact that he's not in the observer hall of fame is crazy to me but um yeah that's what that's what set up fujiwara as being like this top shooter and top you know basically that sent him to the uwf down the down the road and you know pwf or uh yeah pwfg and all that sort of stuff so um i think also the allusion to the fact that maybe this match wouldn't get started because it's Calling back to something that where a match didn't get started. Yeah, Tai Chi got on the microphone and he's told everyone to go home because the match was over. You know, there's there's no main event and the trainers and staff carried Naito off to the back. How does that make sense from a kayfabe standpoint? If you want to win the title, it, it doesn't. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's dumb. It would go to a no contest and Naito would retain the title. Um, and so at this point, we kind of the show kind of was at a halt. Um, tai Chi wandered around the ringside and he got into um, a little confrontation with uh, Makabe and uh, Milano Collection 18. Or not Milano, um, what's his face? Um, Cho, um, uh, who's the other guy at commentary? The um, man, the guy that lifts the shades. Um, Chono? Yeah, Chono. Yeah, he got in a confrontation with Chono and Makabe. And he was just telling fans to go home, and then uh, we had <clears throat> the trainer and I think they I think they did this too long. Yeah, it, it was, was like, way too long. It was long. like ten or twelve minutes long. Yeah, the trainer and um, the New Japan chairman Sugabayashi came out and we were contemplating on what to do, and then Naito came back out with Bushi um, and get, got back in the ring and said he wanted to continue the match. At least it wasn't Harold Mai. <laughs> yeah, getting throwing himself in the storyline there. And then the bell rang and the match started. But yeah, that, that that whole opening segment was way, way too long and drug out too long and just... Do you remember yeah. when they did something, not exactly like this, but do you remember at Hell in a Cell a few years ago when they had uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte and Charlotte jump zoned mm. Sasha and it took forever before yeah. the match started? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of reminded me here. And like, I, I'm, I actually enjoyed the, um, you know, the, the, the pre-match jumping and all that. And I also appreciated them carting him off, but 
this whole thing with Taichi at ringside for 10 to 12 minutes, that was way too long. Yeah. Um, now, it did serve a purpose because when Naito came back, um, you know, he's doing this epic sell job, and the crowd is so into this at this yeah. point. Yeah, crowd's firmly behind Naito, and anytime he had any come hope of, of coming back, they were solidly behind him. But then Taichi would kind of cut him off. Um, then we had a crazy spot here where um, Taichi had pulled out a, a table and he was looking to do the Black Mephisto from the apron to the table, but ended up with um, Naito giving him a pile driver through table. Yeah, that was awesome. There was, there was a lot of stuff here too with like, um, you know, basically like Naito just like, working from underneath the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, very different from the matches that they'd done in the past at the produce show or at the anniversary last year. Um, and it really did create an atmosphere and a feeling like night or that Taichi could basically do what we had kind of talked about and steal the belt from Naito essentially. Yeah. And so, um, towards the end of the match here, we had um, Iska coming back out in um, for chair and uh, laid Naito out. And Taichi did a nasty um, headshot to Naito with the chair. Chair like broke apart. And then he grabbed the IC belt um, and he went to hit Naito, but Naito dodged it. And Naito picked the belt up, but instead of using the belt, he put it to the side and he grabbed um, Taichi's microphone and laid Taichi out with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Taichi begged him not to do it again, but Naito did it anyway. He went to hit him a third time, but then uh, Taichi grabbed a chair and struck him with it. Um, so, yeah. Oh, this is where the, the, the nasty chair shot came uh, to Naito's head. Raichu's coming back in. Taichi hits a Saito suplex, and he goes for Black Mephisto. But Naito had an awesome counter here with, with a Spike Hurricane Rana. Um, Taichi eventually cuts him off, hits a super kick. Uh, Naito shows the referee, low blows Taichi, hits a Destino. Taichi kicks out. Naito goes for another Destino, but Taichi blocks him, goes for Black Mephisto again. Naito reverses it again into another reverse Rana, hits a big brain buster, and then the Destino for the win. Yep, and um, you know, Taichi tried everything that he possibly could, just like he has in previous outings with Naito. He tried every single thing he could, um, jumping him before the bell, using weapons, using distraction, you know, every big move that he knew how to do, changing the pace, mm -hmm. controlling the tempo, everything. Uh, but in the end, Naito outlasted him and, um, you know, basically pushed. Taichi probably out of this title picture entirely. Yeah. I have a hard time seeing Taichi getting another shot after this. Now, like, my whole thing with this is the opening, like, angle was very good. The intermittent time between them starting the match and them, like, waiting was way too long and, was, and didn't... I don't think it even did a good job drawing heat. I just think people were quiet and it just was weird and Yeah, long. it was just awkward. Like, 
is the show over or not? Like, yeah. Or we do we really need to go home? Like, cause we, we we'll leave. Yeah. Like, just just t- <laughs> just tell us. Like, is it over or not? Like, but then Naito comes out and the crowd is going crazy, and you kind of have to wonder, like, would they've gotten that payoff if they had done it sooner? I I don't know, but it, right. It, I feel like there's a final. I just feel like they did wait a little too long. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm wrong on that because the crowd was so hyped after that. But then Naito basically still. Or I'm sorry, Taichi still worked this gimmicky, slow-paced, you know, heel work, mm-hmm. you know. And and here's my whole thing: I appreciate a heel being a heel. I appreciate a guy being hated and actually, uh, you know, doing things where you don't like them. And and night or Taichi's great at that. But with that being said. You can be entertaining and be a bad guy. You can be entertaining and be despicable and ugly and draw heat and make people hate you while still not being boring. And um, I've gone to bat for Taichi many times saying that, like, I thought, you know, that he had more to bring to the table. But, like, it just seems like he's going to be one of these smoke and mirror guys, like, his whole career. Yeah. And they're, like, resigned to that. With that being said, the crowd was so into this match all at the same time. And it was, like, such a weird viewing i don't even know how you rate something like this yeah i don't even know because like it did add drama to the match the opening segment even though it's kind of long and they did, they did do some crazy stuff in this match with the pile driver to the table the the headshot with the chair um naito's had some great reversals with the spike ranas um so i mean there were some great spots in this match but Overall, with the opening segment and all the cheating and Iska running out twice and all this stuff, and it's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I have a hard time rating this thing. Um, yeah, I've seen everything from people being like, you know, I hated it. It was, you know, it was awful. Blah blah blah. And some people I've seen, I've, and this is gonna sound crazy, but I've, I have seen people say this is an early match of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so like. <laughs> in which I don't think oh my I don't gosh. think I don't think it was that. I think that for the for the crowd that was watching it, they did a good job. For the crowd at home like in the arena. Yeah. For the crowd at home, it was a very strange like viewing experience. Yo, if, if this is a match of the year candidate, then we're in for a rough year. <laughs> <laughs> um but with that being said, um yeah, I mean I, I I think that, like, the whole Taichi, like, laying up goose eggs and big matches thing has held up once again. I mean, um, there were some things that were good here, but I didn't think this was as good as the match Taichi and Naito had the year before. Yeah, no. And with a show that really needed a kind of a big main event. This, this wasn't this, it. This tour really needed a standout match, and this just... This kind of reminded me in some ways, not the way it was worked, but like the the feeling you got afterwards. It kind of reminded me of the, the letdown of Naito and Suzuki. Mm, yeah. Even though I had higher hopes for that than this. Um, but I mean, the good thing out of it is like if you're not a Tai if you're a Tai Chi fan, then you're probably gonna be upset about this. But for those who don't like Tai Chi, he's probably gonna be nowhere near the IC title going forward. Um, but it does feel like this show lacked star power and I feel like all the people who were kind of um, ridiculing this match and ridiculing this feud they're probably vindicated to some degree and I mean I know we kind of went to bat for it and kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt 
And I, now I kind of feel stupid about that because they didn't deliver here. Well, one thing too is like they just they didn't let Tai Chi go. Like we we've seen when Tai Chi actually wrestles, he does seem to be like, oh man, he has he might have something. But well, the the, the finishing sequence sequence was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. the finishing sequence of this match was great. That's what makes it so weird to rate. Like everything leading up to it's kind of sucky, and then all of a sudden, like and, and, except for the hope spots, and then at the end it gets it gets turned up, and it's like. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not that they didn't let Taichi go. Maybe Taichi didn't let Taichi go. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess but we like, don't know. But I'm saying, but he, like, what if they had just had a straight up match, like no no jump zone at the beginning, straight up match, do some shenanigans in the middle of the match to get heat, and, and try to work more of a straight match. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe they don't <clears> trust him. Yeah. I don't know. I I really couldn't say. Or maybe maybe this was a. a their booking attempt to make Taiji look as strong as possible while protecting Naito along the way. Right. I yeah. don't know. So, <clears throat> question here from Reddit user Maserati. Why do people like Taichi? I'm, gl- <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he lost. I hope he loses forever. I guess he's a good heel because I hate him so much. Yeah, I think that... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, why do people like Taiji? Dude, so I have much? no idea... To me, the only real thing I like about Tai Chi is Mio Abe. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he the gimmick kind of is fine. Like, I, I like the gimmick, and, you know, people like gimmicks and stuff like that. And uh, I, I feel like it's one of those ironic things to like him. But there are people that gen, genuinely like him. I don't think, yeah. I think it's a very vocal minority, and I'm... Yeah, he has a very uh, small cult-like following... Um, I don't know, maybe it's his aesthetic, maybe it's the whole emo goth vampire thing that people dig, you know, maybe some Twilight fans like him or something <laughs> like that, but um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, if he keeps like missing these big opportunities time after time, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's going to be hard for me to get behind him. I, I do think that he's funny and interesting when it comes to uh being on the mic in the backstage oh yeah yeah that's usually really good but i mean when it comes to bell to bell i mean he's not my guy and yeah. uh yeah but post-match we got bushi shingo sonata evil all finally emerging to celebrate clean sweep for lij all five guys just like you predicted just like i predicted but the one thing that was missing we did not get the hiromu appearance mm, yeah um but that kind of blows off the end of uh New beginning in Sapporo. Yeah, question here from Reddit user FLIJ. Now that Naito is still the IC champ, how do you guys see him getting to the heavyweight championship? I think he should be allowed by the IWGP committee to wrestle in the New Japan Cup, get to the finals against Okada, only to lose, and they could build the narrative that Naito can't beat Okada and have him win at Wrestle Kingdom by winning the G1. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... I think it's less likely that he um, – I don't think he's going to win the New Japan Cup. He could, but I don't think they're going that way. I don't think they're going to headline Madison Square Garden with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could, but I don't think they will. I think that him winning the – I think he either will win the title and headline Wrestle Kingdom with the belt or he will win the G1 and – win the title at at Wrestle Kingdom next year. One of those two things is how I see it. Yeah, I, I feel I'm I'm leaning towards him winning the G one as him finding his way back into the heavyweight title picture and getting that Wrestle Kingdom match. Um 
but yeah, I don't, I don't see him. You know, I, I like the New Japan Cup being all non-title contenders, so I, I wouldn't want to see him in the New Japan Cup. I did see people mm-hmm. saying that maybe they should allow everyone but the IWGP champion to be in the New Japan Cup going forward, which I'm not opposed to that. He's talked. He actually talked in. Uh, interviews before about why don't we do that everyone knows they're going to challenge for the iwgp title anyways Mm -hmm. you know yeah so i mean that's that's one thing i mean he did now one thing that was interesting after the show he specifically said that he wanted to be the first person ever to hold the iwgp and the ic champion Mm. and you know they always do say that they don't allow them to say like stuff like that unless it really means something now i don't know i i heard tanahashi say the same thing last year uh around this time of the year but that was in one of those it wasn't on a show it was uh one of those backstage profiles that they used to do on the new japan world um so maybe he continues to hold the intercontinental title and then challenges for the for the iwgp championship yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that could happen, but also too with these backstage promos, it's one of those things like we don't know if he's just saying stuff to say stuff or they're they're actually trying to plant seeds for something. That's true, but I feel like in this case with it being a big feud and stuff like that, I feel like that could hypothetically be a direction that maybe they gave him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we don't know. I mean, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I we're just gonna have to wait and see. I think everything really. Is going to come down to what happens with uh, Tanahashi and Jay White next week. Yeah. So we have a question here from Reddit user Dom Homie One Hundred and One. He wants to know what's next for Juice and the IWGP US title. Um, Juice Robinson retained the title over Beretta this past weekend in the New Beginning in USA. Um, yeah, I'm not sure who who could who's on the docket for challenging Juice next. Yeah, he's got to get back in Japan and um and you know defend the belt. I I, I don't know. Uh, is there anyone that you can see that the, it seems like they're kind of building up for for a title challenge? I mean, maybe Zack Saber Junior. I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I I really don't see a, a challenger on the horizon yeah. based off this tour so far. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to wait until the next tour. It's gonna he's gonna be in some tag match and someone's either gonna come out and challenge him or, or pin him and then we're gonna mm-hmm. go from there. I, yeah. I don't know. Then Reddit user Reddit user Templar two three five, do you think the great Okarn will keep his Kanoski gimmick upon returning from excursion? I dig it, but it's pretty bizarre. I hope not. I hate the gimmick. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the great old Karn gimmick, but I am a little bit worried since he's now officially debuted on a New Japan show with the gimmick. Um, if I'm not. I'm not because we saw, like, the Tempora Boys as, you know, the Tempora Boys, and we've mm. seen Kamatachi before, you know. we've A lot of times these young lions, when they're on excursion and they come back, they'll obviously they'll work their gimmick, but... Mm-hmm. Gato generally doesn't keep those gimmicks. I mean, it's very... I can't even remember the last time someone debuted back in New Japan and was working with the same gimmick that they had outside. Um, I'm just trying to even think of a, a situation where that's ever really happened. Even, like, Mudo building 
his reputation as the great Muda. He didn't come back as Muda. It took like several years for him to reemerge that persona. So no, I, I really don't think that he'll keep that gimmick. Plus, I don't know if that would even be. I don't know how people would take that in New Japan or yeah, if the like, Japan that would get over in Japan audience. I have no clue. It's probably not. I'm gonna say I'm 95 percent certain he doesn't keep the gimmick. So next question comes from um, Reddit user Jai Brian. Should New Japan make a big push to sign Dean Ambrose? It's um, been recently um, announced that Dean Ambrose will not be re-signing with the WWE um, after his contract is up in April. I mean, I'm not even convinced that that's really going to happen, but... I, I literally am somebody I think it's probably real but I am somebody who is open to the idea that this thing is a work mm-hmm. and I know everyone else is like very convinced it's not but I am not completely convinced that this is not a work uh, with that being said though I mean he's a top talent that's out there um, it's just we talked about it last week it just is very weird like that New Japan when it comes to a lot of these like uh, free agent signings and bidding wars I mean, there every there's a couple guys, and we'll talk about it in the news. There's a couple guys you're hearing New Japan's name tied around, but they're being very selective, and it doesn't seem like they're going after a lot of these talent, really. Right. Honestly, I I don't even know how if Ambrose could um, adapt to the New Japan style. I don't. I don't. I I can't have a I have a hard time picturing Dean Ambrose in New Japan. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's. I a feel guy. like it would be something close to like Sammy Callahan. Yeah, I still I don't know how it would get over. I don't know if that's somebody that New Japan needs to bust out the you know the checkbook for. So I like don't want New Japan to be like the third or fourth fiddle though. So I kind of want them to like get somebody just to get somebody. <laughs> yeah, like everyone else is signing everybody up, and I'm like New Japan, you guys gonna make a play or like like, what, like who are we signing? <laughs> yeah, what, what you guys doing? Um, but I mean, I, there's no part of me as a fan that's like, you know what I want to see. Okada and Dean Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I and I like Dean. I'm a Dean Ambrose fan, and I think that there have been times where he's had great stuff in New Japan, and the John Moxley stuff's all cool and everything. Yeah. But I just don't see it in yeah, New Japan. I think he'd, he'd be better suited for American Indies. I think he'd be better suited for, like, Big Japan death matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, question Another question from Dom Homie 101. Uh, thoughts on a possible Kenta G1 uh, run this year in the G1 Climax. We mentioned earlier, Kenta um, has asked for and has reportedly been granted his release from WWE. He was written off 205 Live last week, being attacked by 205 legend Aria Davari. Um, Did they so, write that? No, I wrote oh. <laughs> um, So can, um, can Kenta show up in the G1 Climax this year? I, I don't know. He Obviously, he's got a 90-day no-compete clause. He just got out of his contract, so we're looking at three months. Um, what month? We're in February, March, April, May. So he's not even going to be wrestling till like, what, June, if at all? Um, is there – would there be enough name recognition, hype, and anticipation for – by one month later, him even getting into the G1 – I don't see it. I really don't, to be honest yeah. with you. Honestly, I feel like um, Kenta really needs to kind of um, kind of rebuild himself. Like he needs to take time off, 
needs to heal up. He needs to get back into better shape. And yeah. I, I would go back to um, to Noah, kind of rebuild that reputation, and then potentially kind of do kind of do what Pac did, where Pac went back to the home promotion in Dragon Gate, rebuilt the reputation, and then potentially do something outside of that. So that's what I would do with Kenta: get motivated, get in shape, get healthy, build up a resume again in Noah, and then maybe do something in New Japan. I think if Kenta was coming off of a successful run in WWE where his name was, you know, elevated, then I think New Japan would be falling all over themselves to, to sign him up and to lock him up. But given the circumstances and, you know, the, the way that his run in WWE is visualized in both North America and New Japan, I don't see them really going out of their way to get him. Now, he's a guy that they could get, they could. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, they could. I don't know that he goes back to Noah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Noah has new management. They just announced and there, there's a lot of changes that are being made in that company. And that is where he made his name. And he could – it's likely – I mean, it makes sense. It's likely he would go back there. But who knows? We could see him in All Japan. We could see him in Big Japan or Wrestle One or, you know, maybe – I don't know. Probably not Dragon Gate, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Um the idea of him ever making an appearance in New Japan isn't far-fetched or out of the question, but I just don't think that he... I mean, the guy's on the downside of his prime. Mm-hmm. He's not in, in the best condition right now, and as much of a name as he was in Noah, even on his best days, he's never been the caliber-level star that you know a heavyweight in New Japan ha- is or was, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, so I just uh, I would love to see it. I mean, I w- there's a lot of guys I would love to see him go, but I want the Kenta of 2008, 2009, you know, 2006. That's the that's the guy that I want. Yeah. And I don't know if that guy still is in there or not. And the G1, I don't think he'd be ready for a G1. I mean, it's the most grueling tournament that's out there. I mean, you know, I just don't know if he could do that. <clears throat> yeah, with all the injuries that he's had and just the shape that he's in now, like I don't think the G1 climax would be. The best thing for him to do right now? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. uh, Reddit user Maserati he says, "Where the young boy kimono? Where where that young boy kimono at, boys?" I try to get Jeremy to commission one. Uh, he won't do it, so you got you got to take it up with the boss. Hey, uh, Pro Wrestling Tees doesn't is currently not doesn't have kimonos, so maybe in the future uh, we'll have that. For right now, just um. Get, who runs uh, Pro Wrestling Tees? What's his name? Uh, I forget. It's like Ryan. Yeah, it's Ryan something. Yeah. I forgot. Oh, I got to call him, and I'll just be like, yo, we need these kimonos, like, like pronto. I think first, um, let's just, everybody needs to get their hands on a Keeping a Strong Tiles t-shirt, <laughs> and then we'll we'll try we'll work on trying to get additional uh, products in the store. Yo, not for nothing, the, the Keeping a Strong Style shirts are clean as heck. Yeah, they're awesome. Mine is on the way in the mail right now. Should be here later this week. Looking forward to wearing that. I'm gonna bust it out at the uh, Ring of Honor tape TV tapings this weekend. Nice. Um, so real quick, we're gonna go over the Road to New Beginning show. Before That's, we do that, do mm-hmm. you want to announce the Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month for January? Oh yeah, totally. Wow, that totally slipped my mind. I didn't even have that on my agenda here. So yeah, Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month for January. Um, I'll start with the Match of the Month. Um, and I think it's pretty safe to say that 
the January match of the month was Hiroshi Tanahashi against Kenny Omega from Wrestle Kingdom 13 from the main event, the IWGP.